Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody, welcome back to the officially unofficial Fargo podcast for the Fargo television show. I'm your host, Aaron, and joining me tonight is... You can call me Ron. The man named Ron. Mr. D. Ron Dawson. Uh, now, it's I'm... so good, man. I, 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 first of all, thank you very much for, uh, on short notice, uh, filling in for Jim. I want to tell people a little bit how we know each other. Uh, a couple years back, I started as a, a spinoff, a little like um, a, like an independent political podcast where Jim is producing, and uh, it's called Three Right Turns. And Ron reached out and said that uh, he wanted to talk, and he had this really interesting metaphor for racial understanding as seen through the lens of the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Darmok. And I'm like, son of a bitch, yes. I'm having this guy on and we're talking. And I, I, I've, I've been on a couple of his podcasts. Uh, you're doing uh, Dungeons and Do-Rags over at... Uh, yeah. I mean, you, t- you yeah. tell people about your project, Ron. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ron. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that project was, I think, Darmic and Jalad at White Privilege was the name of it. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh all life lessons can come from Star Trek The Next Generation. But, yeah, so that was the first time we connected. And then I started a little podcast called Dungeons and Do-Rags. It was named after my book, which was a story. It essentially, it was a, a comical satire. You probably can't tell by my voice, but I'm a black man. <laughs> and it was about my reconnecting with the black community and sort of the evolution of my blackness. And in the book, Sam Jackson as a guardian angel comes to help me be blacker. So that's kind of like what the book is about. So I started a podcast where me and my two best friends who are, who are both black, who always tease me, but now, being black enough to this <laughs> podcast called Dungeons and Durags. And I had you on for a few episodes. The yeah, first yeah. episode was was the was this uh squids, crabs, and barrels oh my episode. That's the one where and you got to the, d- d- discover the crab bucket metaphor. Right, yeah, where I as a black man Learned about uh, crabs in a bucket, crabs in a barrel. But it was also the recap of the Squid Game episode. We had you on for that. And we had, and then I had you participate in a black television trivia <laughs> contest <laughs> where you were the only white guy. 
Um, I won't tell people how it turned out, but it was a surprise. So yeah. I had you on for that. And then a couple episodes later, uh, my happy birthday, white Jesus episode about Christmas and my evolution of my Christian faith. And I had you on to kind of talk about your own personal journey. So some good episodes in there. I, I know most of you, like Bob, old school Bob fans know, but I grew up as Jehovah's Witness, not celebrating Christmas. So there's a little bit of, a little bit of synergy yeah. there talking. I, I got a lot. Yeah. I got a lot in common with Ron other than the melanin. Yeah. Uh, in terms yeah, of our, yeah, kind of like we the, do. our, our yeah. walk through life and, 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 and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm excited to have you on because you are current on Fargo. You're excited yes, to talk about this season of Fargo. Um, I got some thoughts. I got some thoughts. Well, let's 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 start off with where, how are you feeling about this season as a whole, and then talk about how you felt about the episode eight blanket from this season. Yeah, I would say I'm feeling better about this season than you and Jim seem to be feeling. All right, it seems to be Fair. a common theme. Fair <laughs> with your guests. Um, yeah. I'm digging the scene. Juno Temple is knocking it out of the park in terms of acting. Definitely some nominations coming her way if they haven't already come down. Just really, I mean, she's come a long way since uh, Ted Lasso. Um, it's hard to understand her accent on that show. <laughs> and she has a new one on this one. So, but all the acting across the board, John Hamm. I think whenever he doesn't play a suave comedian type, like, I think this is the first, like, I don't think I've seen him in a movie or a TV show where he's a straight out villain. And I think he's, uh, I think he's doing great. Everyone's doing great on this. Um, Jennifer Jason Lee, I feel like she had a part of her kind of reminds me of her Hutsoxy proxy oh, yeah. her accent for sure. In a little sense, not that that's not that there's anything wrong with that, but but I've been enjoying the show. I've been enjoying the show. And this episode, I thought I thought last episode, um, Linda was like amazing. Um, I thought this episode was solid. We're gonna get into it. There's some things I'm worried about. I'm I'm worried about one particular thing. In, Interesting. One thing in particular, we'll get into. Because uh, I'm here to say that I actually like this episode. I thought this was a very Sweet. satisfying episode to watch. Yes, right up it turn until it turned into you know a gut punch. There's been some people saying there hasn't been enough de enough death, impactful death in this episode <laughs> in this season of Fargo. And I right. think with Danish graves getting getting put into a, uh, a North Dakota Bismarck grave. Uh, the stakes yeah. have definitely, definitely jumped up. And I know, you know, it's interesting because, like, I can, I think the only other villainous, out-and-out -out villainous role I've seen John Hammond is uh, Baby Driver. He played the kind of the psychotic hitman in that. Um, oh, but I he, forgot about that. Yeah. He was still very slick kind of. This this is a much more, you know, uh, brutal. Like, that uh, that that walk yeah. he does, it's, a, it's like a two-minute walk, almost a one-shot. Yeah. And the menace that he's able to convey with his body language, with yeah. the intensity of his walk, with the emotional turmoil that he's and you know that he's working himself to take all that out on on poor Dorothy. Yeah. Um it's tough. Yeah, it's man. tough. He he's a he's a he's a great he's a great villain. Great villain. 
Yes, he is. Yes, he is indeed. So, yeah, I thought this was a solid episode. Let me ask you this. This is something that a listener wanted us to talk about, and I'm I'm rarely lost when people ask me on my opinion on things, but this brought me up short. I don't know what the topic, I don't know what the title means, if that's your question. Uh, yes, that was the question. What the hell does blanket mean? <laughs> ha. I have no idea, and I even listened to, Joanna Robinson seems to be really up in these things. Sharp she lady. didn't even know. Really? Yeah, so I feel good about the fact that she didn't even know. So the fact that she didn't know, I think it's fair to say that there is no real meaning to it. The closest thing I could think of was towards the end, she kept hiding stuff under the blanket. Mm. Um, that's the closest thing I got. I was thinking like a blanket of snow, because maybe there's some fresh snow falling. But like, yeah, it's, it's I'm yeah, reaching. there's that. I'm reaching. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, listener. You're listening to Fargo with Bald Move. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Fargo on Bald Move. Uh, well, let's get let's get into uh, we'll catch up with feedback at the end of the episode. Let's get right into yeah. the action. We start let's off the episode it. with Danish up to something as he represents three North Dakota citizens wanting to all legally change their name to the same new name, which will be a mystery for now, but it's going to pay off handsomely in a few scenes. Yes, it does. Um. I really like the poor people store song. Yes. It's like yes. uh the, that's like that's like the like the seventies uh version of Macklemore's uh thrift shop, right? Right, right, right. You can, yeah, you, no, no, I thought that was good. Um another cool little tidbit I did some research and found apparently the names of the debtors in the book uh-huh. are like crew members from the show. Like from the production they crew got members a dude from the, the show. last name of Sasquatch. Apparently, because <laughs> I was trying to think of like it looked like he was going for white guys with brown hair, brown eyes that were around right. six foot tall. And I was thinking the right. other commonalities maybe they have weird names. Like you got John Sasquatch. You got a guy whose name's Blue, not B L U E like Blue's Clues, like B L E W, like the past tense of blown. Uh, right, or right. Blue. Will Brolo? I don't know. What is blue? Blue. Yeah, you blew it. Um, but yeah. Yeah, apparently, we've got some the, the crew members. We've got some crew members need some need some name changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know of every single name in there, but that's some of the research I found. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Yeah, at the time, where were you? Were you guessing? Did you, or did you guess ahead of time? At least in that scene, what they were changing it to. 
I had no, no. I and I, I wish I, had, if I had a thought for a second, I probably would, you know, reflected on the trailer and the fact that I think we even mentioned in the preview how he's like, there's this like joke that like most of the sheriffs that he's debating with are all looking like him, and I thought that maybe that was some kind of like they're all trying to out Roy Roy, but no, I, I did not see it right. coming until it happened. Yeah, yeah. It went to happen. It was a good. It was a good payoff for sure. Yeah, I like how the law clerk, or not the law clerk, but the the records clerk or whatever, she's kind of <laughs> right. like thinks about it for a minute. Like this is some weird, but you know what? Hell, it's America. Stamp, you know, like that's right. You got you got your twenty five dollar. You got your twenty five dollar filing fee. Come on, let's get the other guy. That's right. I'm sure she's seen weirder things being in a Fargo universe. True, true. Uh, so we left Dot Dot Dorothy at the hospital after she had that freak. Mm-hmm semi slash suv accident and there at the same hospital roy is trying to strong armor and is signing out a medical release so she he can get her back on the ranch before our old friend who has not shown up for a while state trooper whit far shows up my boy lamar lamar it's so funny he walked in because i was thinking where has the brother been yeah he has been missing for a number of episodes and I thought it was cool that he comes back on the episode where I get to talk to you about it. So it was like, my boy's back. Yeah, one of the uh, big heroic figures of this season, with uh, along with yeah. Amir and, Do- and and Dorothy herself. Uh, it, it's funny because like I just noticed the rumblings in the subreddit. People are like, you know, it's been a while since uh, the Wit showed up, and I wonder where it happened to Wit. And it's, it's always interesting when a character submarine like that in Fargo. Uh, right, right. You know, they got they got something, some other dance to play in the plot. Yeah. How are you feeling about him uh, questioning um, Dot at the time? Like, do you feel like he wasn't picking up on clues or he was picking up on clues, but was it making you nervous that he was kind of like pressing the situation? I'm always worried that people are going to die. So, yeah, I was kind of especially when, you know, there there's that scene where it's like <laughs> he could tell he's like, OK, there's an even match. I got the sheriff and it's me. If I can get Dorothy to just say, help me directly, I can make a move here. And then you see in the background Gator and all of his boys rolling through the double doors. And then it's like you see you, right. you can feel even before he does that window shut. And uh, right. I was just worried that someone's going to get themselves killed because it's clear to me that Roy is becoming increasingly unhinged. Like, I think he understands mm-hmm. that the the door for his opportunities here are closing rapidly. He's in way over his head. There's no, you know, he's like Jerry Lundegaard from the first Fargo movie. He's 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 17 Buicks deep on a bad garage real estate deal or parking right. lot real estate deal. And there's no way out. And and uh, he's acting unhinged. But um yeah. Yeah, I was worried, and I, I do. There is a couple things that I don't quite know about, um, about like how his hands were tied. Like, I think the second that Gator puts a bullet through his windshield, like, I, I think that's. Right. I think I think you just drive up to your state troop outpost and be like, <laughs> "Look what the sheriff's deputy did to my fucking patrol car." And he said, exactly. "My head was next. Are my hands tied here?" Yes. I, I think I think the answer would be no, but I, I don't know. Yes. His hands weren't tied with that. His hands were tied specifically with the dot situation because of the fact that she said that she was okay. I yeah. think that's the situation you were talking yeah, about. Yeah. yeah. It gets complicated um, when you get in that jurist my diction crap. Uh, I know. I know. I know. 
But yeah, there's there was. I feel like um, wit in a, in the long run, the way he was kind of standoffish probably kept him alive because if he had, I mean, because this comes up later, if he had tried to do what Danish did, he probably would have been in that grave too, eventually. Yeah. 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 And the thing is, is he's street smart enough to know the actual danger. Whereas I think Danish graves thinks that he's got the money, he's got the connections, he's got the power that there's no way I'm going to walk into some guy's house and they're going to murder me. Like it just never wears like, I think, you know, Trooper Far is in a world where, yeah, that can happen, you know. Right. One of the things that also occurred to me in this scene, you really get a, an idea of the breadth of uh, Roy's power and influence. Like, he knows the woman behind the counter. He knows that her brother had some prison issues. You feel like he has a hand, a grip around a lot of the people in his county. And you could see the look in her eye when he was threatening her about that. And that's the other interesting thing is that, like, I think you could maybe be uh, fooled into believing that maybe Roy benevolently rules, you know, for all outside appearances, his county. Um, But here it seems like there's a real element of fear. Like she, that that nurse working the discharge desk saw what was going on. She sees this person needs help and she is concerned and she doesn't think Roy's a good guy because Roy's not even trying. He's like, you know, snap. You don't don't snap on a nurse like that. That's that's, you know, (laughs) right. Uh, But he's like, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't have any time for nice. He's giving shit. She and her alarm bells are ringing, but he goes right to the threat. You know, he's like, hey, Kim, how's your family doing? How's that brother had a. And uh, it seems that Roy has maybe even increasingly. I don't know what his how his granddad did and his dad did, but Roy is is kind of tyrannical over Stark County. It seems like. Oh yeah, for sure, and that's a good point. I mean, his family probably has a history of being like this. People know about the Tillmans up until you get to the Gator. Yeah, the, all the Roys prior to that yeah. have been an issue. Well, we found out they skipped the name a generation because it's yeah. uh, he Gattaca yeah. him. You remember that detail where the dad and Gattaca's when uh uh well shoot what's that guy's what's the kid's name um uh the actor yeah it's it's Ethan Hawke yeah it's like what what Ethan Hawke's dad does to him in Gattaca it's like ah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna save my my name for the for the good baby, you know. This, this is the trash baby. Gator's the trash baby. <laughs> right. I love the detail of, and I noticed this in the first Fargo movie. The North Dakota, any of the Dakota uh, troopers, sheriffs, their parkas have like little slits right where the gun belt is, so they can get. You know, because I got to wear these big, heavy parkas, oh. but you got to have your sidearm. And Officer Witt's right. got his like holster going right through that little portal as he as he's about to draw down on Gator. Oh, I, I didn't love, notice that. That is a good eye. I, I love our cozy, our cozy gun accommodating Dakota parkas on our law enforcement officers up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you gotta love how Gator comes out the gate calling yeah. Witt Jay Z. Yeah, yeah. It's the only black person he knows. You know. Uh, <laughs> he knows probably. And so right. then, Wit, Wit, there's there's a lot, a, lot, a little uh, coded this scene where he calls up uh, his new buddy Indira and uh, says, "Guess what? I just saw Dorothy." 
and she looks like someone out of a hostage video, like a trapped animal, you know, all compliant outwardly, but inwardly you can tell she's screaming. And now Indira is on, on the case. Uh, another interesting detail, just, just kind of tying the, yeah, se- that was the, a quick... the, the season together is Indira um, talking about what she's doing. Like she's, she's evicting elderly people. Uh, yeah, you know, right before the, the winter that. in far in 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 Minnesota, it's like, and she doesn't even think it's right. So she's definitely got one foot out this job and and towards Lorraine Lyon security detail. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, next scene, Roy has Nadine, as he calls Dorothy, right where he wants her in one of his outbuildings, chained to the floor, apparently completely mm. at his mercy. It's a tough scene. Yeah. Yeah, it is a tough scene. I mean, this is what she's feared the whole season, right? And uh, maybe we'll talk about this later, but one of the huge differences that we see in this episode from Dorothy, this is the first episode where we see true fear in her eyes. I mean, we don't really see it towards the end, Mm -hmm. but we get a sense of the dire situation that she's in. Um, cause she's the whole time she's been an animal, like she's been a tiger as our old friend Munch likes to call her. And, uh, we, we can see you, you have that sense of despair that comes uh, later on in the episode, but yeah, this first scene where she's tied up and it's gotta be devastating in a sense, because for 10 years she's been avoiding this dude and now she's chained up. Um, the only people that she knows that knows about her is wit and she told him don't come get me yeah and i think it's she's so you know we talk about her being a tiger but she's so fierce where she's just like let me out let me out let me out she's grabbing to trying to pull that you know chain right out of the ground um and i and the way she just handles him verbally you know he comes at her with all this stuff and she's like you broke your vow you broke my bones you know what plan do you got? Right. God's plan starts quoting Drake. You're never you're never in a good position if you're if you're resorting to that. And uh, <laughs> and she talks about like all oh, like this isn't just me. If you take me out of this life, you're you're screwing over my daughter. You're screwing over the library board. Uh, the the Girl Scouts like all like I have made a a life for myself in this community. And of course that just makes. What him did you think about her trying to appeal to his? Yeah, what did you think about her trying to appeal to his human side there? I'm not sure because the only thing I can think of is um, it's 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 an interesting appeal because we saw from the nurse instance, we talk about how he kind of maybe cruelly runs his county, like the difference between his community and everything's based mm-hmm. on fear versus the community she's trying to build, which is based on respect and mutual support and, you know, right. people, people, you know, helping each other out. Um but like I, I don't I, I don't know. Like maybe she was just trying to talk him, to provoke him, to try to get an angle, you know, like you you think that she doesn't want him to attack her, but it almost seems like in like a Brazilian jujitsu kind of way she does. Like you come in here and you kneel on my bed and touch my chains, I'm gonna make like Princess Leia and Jabba the Hut you, you know, like she's yeah. She needs him in close so she can she, the you know, like if if he stays his distance, then the tiger can't do anything because it's chained. So I, I kind of felt like yeah, no, for sure. She's kind of like a push pull, like maybe trying to make an appeal to like, come on, what are you doing? What is your plan? Like think, 
slow down and think what is what is your plan after you abduct me what is your plan after you kill and you know he's just he's like a bull seeing red you know is this the scene remind me is this the scene where lauren or karen the wife comes in towards the end yes she's she comes so it's yes she comes in with a a shit bucket (laughs) a gallon of water and trailing the ranch hands who have a cot and uh not as sympathetic to the woman's plight as as you might as you might think. Yeah. So I was getting some heavy Handmaid's Tale vibes in this scene. Uh, first of all, you know, she talked about the piety. You know, I feel like Roy has this twisted version of Old Testament biblical thinking, where he just he not only uh, believes in the vows, but in a lot of people don't, well, I don't know how many people know this, but in Old Testament um, Bible times, a man owned his wife. You literally mm-hmm. owned your wife. She was your property. And you can own, you can have multiple wives. And uh, a lot of things, a lot of detail that a lot of people don't know is that adultery in the Old Testament was only if a married woman cheated on her husband a husband can have as many multiple wives or concubines as whatever and this is totally the mindset you know that roy has his multiple wives and he's i don't know if train is the right word but he has karen he'd break 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 them broke break the yeah that the karen's broken she is like a uh uh you know like a horse with a bit in its mouth he's gotten used to it you know yeah, and, and and being the senior wife, she's like she's like the the main wife who's kind of jealous of the affection that the husband has for the handmaid, in a sense. Yeah, and you know the way she slaps him, and so I was getting those vibes very strong in this scene. That you have, you know, people um, upholding this a system of oppression that you know disadvantages them because they have a privileged position inside of it you know as the wife of, of roy it's it's oh, really totally. interesting it's really interesting work and um it also i wonder if they're giving us some hints about you know we know that dorothy in her mind has 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 substituted her own version of reality on certain things and I wonder mm-hmm. if they're trying to teach us with Karen's reaction to Dorothy, maybe how Dorothy and Linda's relationship went, you know, like, like Dorothy as reconned mm. it. In her, and I'm not saying, I guess I got no evidence in this. I'm just wondering if they're trying to tell us right. a parallel structure that, you know, that maybe Dorothy um, was, I wouldn't say complicit because she was so young and she's like all brainwashed by Roy. But maybe to try to avoid Roy's wrath and the beatings that Linda was getting, maybe she kind of joined in on the persecution of Linda. Maybe she even helped somehow in the murder or disposal of her body. Because um, like, cause think- that's the thing I was trying to think. This whole thing is like, why, why doesn't she just go to the cops? Why does she have to do all this stuff? Why does she have to hide all these things that happened to her? And it's got to be because at some level, she's afraid that something is going to come back and on her and threaten her. Her, her existing life. Yeah. So one, I don't think that's Dorothy. I don't think she ever was complicit in the harm to be done to anyone else. Uh, I think we've seen that in terms of how she cares about 
um, people she didn't want in that first scene in the hospital. She didn't want people to be hurt. Um, I think to the extent that she's afraid of the law, we know or we it's been implied that she was a runaway mm-hmm. when Linda first found her. So whatever her life was prior to being found, it's probably something that makes her concerned. Mm-hmm. But we also know that this was the one person that he never broke. So she never would have participated in. That's a good, that's else. the good, because I was, I was getting all other counters about like, well, you know, you're when you're a caged animal and it's a flight or flight and that's right. been the whole theme that's like, I'm not getting, I'm not, I don't want to construe anybody to be blaming for Dorothy, Dorothy for anything that happened. Sure. It's all Roy's doing, but just like, I don't think Karen wants was when she was born on this world. I don't think she, you know, as a little girl, be like, you know, I, I hope I get to grow up to slap other women, like other sister wives that I've got. It's like you, sometimes you just get put into these things, and it's a crazy system and crazy you things happen. It. But I, that's the best. That's the yeah, best. Sure. That's a good counter because Roy said he he never broke her, and he never broke her. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good one. I do think she feels some yeah. kind of guilt over m- maybe it's abandoning. Like she thought that. Yes. Uh, she should have gone back for Gator or she should have taken Gator with yes. her or something. But, yeah. but but I think you're right. It's not because she actually had a hand in in Linda's death. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on. Indira comes home to find her husband, Lars, in bed with his, quote unquote, physical therapist uh, in the closet. <laughs> what do you think of this scene? I don't know why. And Darren never left this SOB Dude. in the first place. Dude. I mean, come on. The whole time I was like, I don't know if it was two or three episodes ago where he did that. Uh, I want that a whole, wife. I want a wife. Yeah. I want a wife. <laughs> um, and, you know, when you think about the history of that particular essay, it was originally written by some woman in the early 20th century, I think. And, uh, and Dara kind of recites it herself now to him um, when she says, I want a wife. But once he gave that whole speech, the fact that she still stayed with him was really frustrating me. That's one thing that's like, you know, here is a woman, you know, she's attractive. Empirically, she is attractive. Sure. Um, and she's a police officer. So, you know, she probably can handle herself. Mm-hmm. This guy is a loser. I don't know why she stays with him. It doesn't make sense, but I'm glad she finally came to her senses. Yeah, it took like it's it's one of those things where I don't know, maybe she's the type that like can't leave a person. Like you have to like really give them cause, you know? Well, you have to do something this blatant or this crazy. I I think that's why honestly that's one of the weaknesses I think of this season is they did not give me I agree. There was no hook there. Like usually when you've got yes. a man or a woman in that situation where they're just like hopelessly devoted to a complete disaster like that, there's some kind of there's some kind of hook, you know, that they've set there's in something deep, that some leads kind you of to like, totally. Yeah, like some self esteem issue that they've worked on or some kind of like a bit <laughs> right. but, but this this guy is just like, Yeah, man, he's a he's a cup of vanilla pudding, not pulling his weight. Absolutely. And what I thought it was such a power move. That Indira is like, fuck it. I'm getting dressed in front of you guys. I got, I got no respect. <laughs> yeah. I'm treating you like my, I'm treating you like the pets. You know, like you don't, right. you know, you don't get your dog out of the door if you're going to change clothes. It's like you guys just don't. And she just, she just did it. It's such a, it was such a power move. Everyone's just equally naked. Like, yeah, I'm not going to be the only one fully clothed in this crazy now, situation. 
<laughs> right, exactly. Uh, where was Scotty in this? Because it's so she, she got dropped watching? off at Grandma's last episode. Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, so she that's she, right. she got that's spared right. that sight. Um, I tell you what, <laughs> right. this this other woman, if she stays with Lars after this display. She, I mean, this is a person, this is a woman walking into a situation with her eyes wide open because Indira laid it down like, you don't pick up your filthy drawers, you don't hold you a don't job. Do yeah. You don't He's do a shit. loser. He's absolute, he, he doesn't, it's an absolute, but I was also wondering, shovel like, the walk. They live in Minnesota. This mother, he's he's out of work and he doesn't shovel the walk. Come on. Come on. He's, he's so bad. I was wondering, though, if, if she, if like this other woman really likes Lars, or is it just a fling type of thing? Who knows? And we don't really know. Yeah. They don't really know. But it, it's it, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe anyone would fall for this guy. I was about to say, does anyone like Lars? You know, if we're really being real, Ron, does it? Does anyone? <laughs> right. Uh, and then Cherry on top, her car gets repoed at the very end that of the scene. <laughs> This woman, man. I think that was the straw that brought the camel back for her. Yeah, she's going to go work for Mama Lion now. Um, so just two scenes yeah. are kind of one minor scene that kind of is a prelude to the major one. Uh, Dot managed to disassemble the cot uh, to reveal a mechanism that I think is mm -hmm. like a reclining mechanism, and it makes a very vicious-looking serrated knife. Before we get to Roy showing up to the big sheriff's debate where all those name changes we talked about. <laughs> right. 30 minutes ago come into play great yeah yeah uh which one so what scene are we talking about as, as yeah uh, the one where she's like i said it's just it's a quick scene of her getting the the kind of serrated vicious looking knife out right. and then just like i mean that's that and then and it then, cuts him and then, then, then yeah. the whole roy thing the whole roy at the debate well the thing about her so i think she uses like the paper clip or whatever she stole from the hospital yes because the at paperwork. the hospital yeah, we see her take something from the hospital. And what I loved about this whole episode is you see Dot nonstop working for her freedom. Yes. Like, she literally does not take a break. If she... She writes, help me on the piece of paper. That doesn't work. She tries to take a pen. He finds it. He takes that out. In a split second, I mean, you could miss it if you blink. She steals something like a paper clip that she thinks or realizes she could use later. As soon as he's gone, she's trying to take apart her bed. And she gets this piece and she's going to like, I am just going to saw this chain off. And she has to know it's going to take a fuck long time to get that thing yeah. off. But she's like, I got to start now. It reminds me, going back to Star Trek. It reminds me of that uh, the episode Q who the first episode in which we meet Q. Yeah. yeah. No. It's the first episode where we meet the Borg. Uh -huh. And uh and Guinan says, I start heading back now when they're when they're thrown out to quadrant D, the D yeah, quadrant, the or whatever yeah, where yeah. the Borg is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Delta Quadrant. Um and Guinan says, What do you know about this space? And she's like, If I were you, I start heading back now. Uh-huh. Get the fuck out now. And that's how that's totally how Dot is. She's like, she's starting now. Yeah. 
to start getting out. Best time to no matter how long was yesterday. Take. Second best time right now. Yeah, it's, exactly. She's always. She's so always, I love that about this episode. Everything is an attempt to escape, and I, I yeah, like the the at the hospital writing help me on the paperwork, uh, trying to steal yep. the pin, which and Roy gets like half of it, but like the other stuff, he's <laughs> right. just he's got too much stuff going on, you know. He he got exactly. the pin. He missed the paperclip, and and here it's fan off. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about this debate? The, the Danish the debate. maneuver. So was that dude on the far left? Was he the real additional candidate? I'm, I'm guessing, guessing he was the Democrat of this county that gets about 17 yes. percent of the vote every year, and you know <laughs> right. he's he's the captured opposition because he looks like he's having a ball. Like he's got the biggest smile on his right. face when 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 Roy walks down right. that l- line of Roy's. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's having a good old time. Like uh, fuck you, Roy. He's probably he's probably ran against right. him seven elections in a row. And he's loses right. everyone <laughs> the scene was hilarious as they are you know they're basically duplicating everything he's doing uh which i thought was hilarious they're obviously trained or taught to do that and if you think about it this was like i felt like one of them the debt that was next to their name was like it was either thirty-seven thousand or three hundred seventy-four thousand. It was three hundred. Everything was a six-digit debt. I noticed. Yeah. So, if, if I'm assuming, I could be wrong, but I'm assuming they're getting either that debt forgiven or maybe a big chunk logged off in order to do this. Sure. That's how big a deal. One. That's how big a deal it is to Danish to get this done. But also. I have a feeling those numbers are so small to them, like 300,000 here is like pocket change. It's nothing yeah. to kind of throw this election for them. Yeah, they got a, they got, they're like, they, they're talking about billions. That the, like the lion industry is like worth right. billions of dollars. So, yeah, that's literally like us giving 35 cents, you know. It's, you can <laughs> right, do it on exactly. a lark. You can do it on a lark. Imagine how, yeah. much, how much fun petty revenge would be. If you're a billionaire, you, you could just buy, you could spike buy a house for a million dollars and it's like, you know, you spend $20 to fuck over your. Yeah, I mean, it's, it must be. It's exactly. high comedy to be that rich. Right. Um, I really liked that even when you get to. I, was, I, I did have some questions, honestly, in like. Yeah. Mechanically, how would this work? How would Danish get these people registered? How would they get to the debate? How like would the debate people who obviously have to be behold? This is all Stark County. They have to be all Roy cronies. How did this? How, how did how did they walk in this ambush? But if they put all that aside, because this is kind of a silly yes, season, you if to. you if you try to nuts and bolts it too much, it's kind of interesting how the right. debate went because this lady went right after. What's funny is like we know from last episode it was a million dollars worth of tactical gear that he gave to the, his militia's dad, and she says a half a million dollars, and Roy says, "Well, I think that number's not right." He's right; it's wrong in the wrong right. in the other direction. So it's like it's kind of interesting. in the wrong direction. Yeah, this like post truth yeah. truth uh, debate stuff that they're doing. Um, but it's really why funny. do you think he's spending so much? On tactical gear and everything. I, so he's arming his father's his, his father-in-law's army, but to what end? I I don't know. Like they they seem like you're they're gathered they're they're getting ready for the coming storm. You know this is right. this is set pre-COVID. You know post-Trump pre-COVID. Uh, right. Which is an interesting way oh, to, right. to, to position this. This is happening right before like another month or two in this this world, our world. They'll, yeah. they'll, we'll we'll learn about COVID. Um. 
But it's a, it's a funny scene I, I really liked when Roy throws the podium down and the other Roys throw it down, too. And it's just like, this <laughs> just goes, it just de- completely defangs right. and de-masculates uh, Roy in front. And, and like when the yeah. audience starts laughing, you can oh, tell yeah. this is just killing him. Now, when he clocked that woman, I was half expecting him to be in chains or something taken in but i guess he has so much power he he's just the sheriff he can kind i guess do that so that's the other it's like if i i on subsequent watches i was wondering would this i'm trying to think of like at a trump rally or at any kind of like mm-hmm. any kind of like very partisan rally i guess if right if the uh the side it's and i guess you could do it in a, in a democrat rally if you showed up at a biden rally and there was three bidens and they're all pretending to be senile shit in their pants I don't know that the rally crowd would would start laughing, you know, like whether it's a Trump or by mm. I, 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 I was like that. I, I don't know if that played true. But as I was thinking that they have the r- amazing like numbers and wrench drum soundtrack as Danish graves bust out of that, you know, yes. just, just, just like cool guys not looking at explosions. He's just got this big shit eating grin on his face, the music. He's popping his collar. He's getting into his very impractical Dakota winter Porsche Porsche right. not not great for I don't, maybe he's got chains on it I don't know but um, right it 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 was very satisfying to see this this very puffed up you know like uh, the dot says like do you realize how insane you sound and now like right. it's like the it's it's like you know the 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 Wizard of Oz uh you'll pay no attention to the man behind the curtain here this this weak yeah man who's fleeing he's just punched a woman and is, and is fleeing the scene of the crime you know yeah for sure but yeah very enjoyable scene Ah, uh, the guy in the trunk's trying to get out we'll be right back we put the ads in the wood chipper welcome back uh, so Dot has managed with this tool to successfully remove one of her legs from the chains. Uh, she's got one oh, more to go. Oh, she did. I must have missed it. Yeah, she just gets one of them off. Uh, and then uh, she's she's about to start in a second, and Gator shows uh, shows up to check on her because he's been left behind, I guess, oh, for this right. purpose. Um, yeah. And they get a chance to talk about his mom. This upsets him so much that he... Yes. Fires a shot through Trooper uh, Farr's wind, windshield as he tears out of the the property. Uh, let's talk about this. Um, yeah, I had some notes about this one. Um, right. A few things. One, do you think? Because she starts saying, "Hey, I saw Linda. I can take you." At the time you were watching this scene, did you think that she was just lying to him, or that she still really believed that? Dude, I was going back and forth about whether she is just because she's not above some pretty dastardly manipulation. Like what she says about his name is pretty hurtful. Um, and I, I, yes. I, I don't know if it's true. I don't know if, if Roy would have ever told her that. But but I I right. think the way that the windmill revelation plays out later in this episode leads me to believe that she is kind of suffering from a delusion. That, that she is yes. like, you know, when they said, you know, like Danish Graves says, oh, you're ex- excuse us, but we have our own reality over here that literally yes. she has had some kind of psychotic break between the accident, between 
Mm-hmm. The sleep deprivation, between the abuse, I really do think she believes that she met Linda at Can't Utopia, and she's gotten confused. Yeah. Is that how yeah. you, you shake that with ta- Yeah, at the time that, she, that the scene was happening, I thought she was just trying to manipulate him. Mm-hmm. But by the end, in that reveal that you talked about, and her revelation that Linda was actually killed, that... Uh, you look at that differently in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. I think she really did believe it. Or I think she really was believing it. Um, the other, th- the other thought I had was this idea of um, uh, villains becoming heroes, and, and maybe I'm kind of getting ahead of myself because it's the next scene that I was going to bring this up at. But you know, just going back. I'll, so I'll save that for now. Because uh, it's the next scene when okay, Bruce yeah, mentioned yeah. the we, car we'll, we'll that wanted to this up. Yeah, but I think in this scene with Gator, uh, she's really she's really trying to Luke Skywalker him. Uh-huh. Like I still see good in you. Yes, right. She absolutely she, is. Yeah, you know? and I, despite him vadering her back mm-hmm. and and saying the things that he says. Um, and so I think there's been a discussion all season about, you know, is Gator redeemable? You know, him being that Jack Skeleton wanting to be yeah, the yeah. good guy. Um, is he too far gone? You know, is he, um, is he like Burke? In aliens, yeah, like, he's a total ass. He's a total asshole. But at the, maybe at the last minute, he's gonna become a hero in some way and redeem himself. I don't know. What do you think? I the real question is: Is Old Munch going to give him a chance to f- turn that leaf? Because you know that's at the end of the scene, you see the dark shadow of Munch arise from his back seat, and it's like. I, it might be too late. It might be too late. But on the other hand, you know, we we kind of talked about this last episode with Pete. Old Munch is a sin eater. Like, his job is to mm-hmm. take on people's sins and leave them blameless. So he would be in an interesting metaphysical position to facilitate Gator uh, flipping mm. over a, a, a new leaf. But I, I don't know, man. I don't know. That, that Old Munch does not look like... Like, you think about how pissed he was at Gator killing his adopted mother like i man, right. i don't know what do you, do you have a feeling on it one way or another or? yeah so i think my guess would be that gator is going to have some type of redemptive arc because i think there i think there have been too many signs to point towards it to not have some aspect of redemption from him. I don't know what that would look like. Um, the fact that when he comes out of the cabin, you can see that her words have gotten to him. Sure. Like she, he tried to make it seem like it didn't bother him and he snapped back. But we see that it's affecting him. So I think one, that matters. Um, and so, and we have the whole season of him just wanting to live up to this evil father of his Mm -hmm. I don't know what it might look like but it may be something where um, he comes to the rescue to some extent Um, I don't know personally if he makes it out alive like the redemption that's the thing cost him his life 
I think what he's done has been so bad that the payment for redemption will have to be his life in, in, in some extent. Um, and I don't know if I believe that's just that my thought. until last episode, because like I was thinking that all the season, he's been much more bark than bite. You know, he we haven't yes. actually seen him kill anyone, but he definitely right. killed that old woman. You know, I don't think he meant yeah. to. And he tried to. But he did. He tried to, well, yes. And he tried to kill Munch. Yeah. Well, I don't, I, I, I don't know if trying to kill Munch is yeah, necessarily. I, say, I don't, I don't know that Munch isn't innocent, but like you know that poor old woman. <laughs> That's true. That poor old woman is, yes. is uh, was uncalled for. Yeah. So I I do like yeah. with, with Fargo's like sense of karma balance. It feels like yeah, I could see him redeeming himself. I could see him. I could see him dying. Old Munch eating his sins. I could see him sacrificing himself to give Scotty or Dot a you know a chance, and him dying. But like him making it out, I don't know. I don't know. Especially yeah. it's because up until last episode, I thought he might be 20, 21, 22. But found out he's twenty seven. Like he's a grown ass man. He's he's yeah. uh, he it's, yeah. it's he's been doing a lot of this it's, stuff with his eyes wide open. Yeah. Yeah, for a long time. The other thing I think this show has been this episode this season has been doing so well is changing our minds about how we feel about people who at first we see as villainous Mm -hmm. you know you know munch at the beginning was a crazy man shooting people left and right trying to kill dot um but i don't know about you but when i saw him come out in the back seat there was a little bit of yeah munch get him would you say you felt like that I mean, he's yeah, because Gator needs to be taken down. You know, Gator uh, had a chance to be a sweet boy. That chance is yeah. long gone. The only like like we discussed, the only way I can see him redeeming himself is sacrificing himself to save an, uh, some other innocent worthy. So like, yeah, it's uh, but 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 Munch, yeah, he is. Uh, you, you you love your. You love your instruments of uh, vengeance, right? Love of righteous, righteous fury, and uh, regardless of what you feel about Munch and him, yeah. you know his criminal lifestyle and all that stuff, like that's that's what that's what he's what we call an anti-hero. He's Frank Castle. He's the Punisher. He's uh, yeah, you know uh, the, 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 the the Bruce Willis in Sin City. You know he's uh, he's he's, right. he's he's not a good guy. But what's it to say about True Detective? It's like we're not we're you sometimes you need bad men to keep the other bad men from the front door. Much oh, right, right. is that bad man, you know? He's the guard dog. Yeah. And he's almost like just like a force of nature. Yeah. In a sense. Where he's not necessarily I mean, you can make an argument that he's evil, but you can also make the argument he's neither good nor evil. He's just this force of nature that will go in the direction of the payment he's received and maybe because of that he's evil so i don't know but there's this idea of us rooting for how easy it is for us to root for evil when we see it going against something else that we see as evil true did you ever see that movie the prophecy oh with eric stoltz and um, Vito Morganson. No, uh-uh, and, I have not. Um, it, it basically, it's a movie about angels and demons fighting over the 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 right. And um, uh, and the main angel uh, Gabriel 
who's played by his name is escaping right now the watch dude from pulp fiction i can't believe i'm forgetting his name oh um, uh, uh christopher um christopher walken yes thank you so christopher walken plays gabriel and he's mad at god and so he's trying to come to earth and kind of take over but at the end spoiler alert for like a 30 year old movie at the end um uh, Vito Morganson plays Satan and he doesn't want Gabriel taking over his stuff. So he, in a sense, he kind of comes and saves the day. So you kind of root for Satan for a small bit because he beats the guy who's been the main bad guy the whole time. Right, right. I think it's a little bit of that sense going on here too as well. Um, it is maddening to see, because that's the thing, it's like you can, it's written uh, in 500 mile high text that the Tillmans are finished they have multiple investigations mm-hmm. closing in they just humiliated right. themselves on the debate stage Gator the the, right. the the heir to the empire is Gator who's dumb right <laughs> uh, exactly what what it, 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 like the, the what, what Tillman's or not Tillman what the officer uh, Farr says here it's like I know you don't think so but the consequences are coming and they're almost here yes it's maddening yes. to see these people like how much and it's like you it, it, if you look at like other authoritarian regimes you think of like nazi germany and fascist italy and um imperial japan and like how much destruction these mindsets can can cause with their inevitable de- demise you know because that's the other thing right. it's like this is no way to organize a society the way Roy's doing in Stark County, the way they were doing in Nazi Germany, it's 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 uh, it's a house divided against itself. You can't have any peace when you don't have any kind of justice. But yet, they right. can do so much damage on their way out, and like it's already done. Like from the start of this season, when the FBI showed up and saw his nipple rings in the the hot tub, Roy was pretty <laughs> much finished. You know. Yeah. Um, lots of investigation, lots of prosecution, but he's, but 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 look look at all the damage they're going to do on their way out. Uh, Danish, that might explain why he's building up this arsenal. I wonder, but what the? I mean, what the hell? You, what's one county in North Dakota? Like it's like you know, unless you're going to go, is, is isn't it the Dakotas where they keep all the nuclear missiles? Maybe maybe they're going <laughs> to take over for a couple bunkers and and go like Lex right. Luthor style. Uh, take over because right. that's what they'd have to do I think yeah. I don't think North Dakota's fi- I don't think North Dakota's seceding from shit you know right Um. so Danish is gassing up his Porsche getting ready to head back to mm. Minnesota before Trooper Farr who's here he's there he's everywhere uh, notices him pulls up and gives him a bit of info about Roy and Dorothy ultimately ends up in his yes. demise lots of stuff about this scene Um. first of all do you it looks like he was ignoring Lorraine's phone calls? Is that the impression you got? I so I, I want to talk about this in the next scene when he pockets the got phone. It. Okay. Because I think okay. there's an interesting thing is like they estab- they they do two things established in that insert in this scene. This man has seventy five percent battery and five bars uh-huh. reception. They're they're mm-hmm. they're wanting you to know that there is nothing wrong with his phone. And he gets a right. phone call at Roy's property, which means you could be like, oh, well, maybe it works in downtown City Square, Stark County, seat of the Capitol. But out in Roy's ranch, no, there. this is a fully functional phone, which might might have some some plot implications for the future. 
But um, it is interesting that he hesitates. I I, I do wonder, because in this scene, he he thinks about calling Lorraine for information, but Mm -hmm. he doesn't. Why do you think he decides to kind of go maverick on this? So my theory is that, one, I think he genuinely cares about Dot. And I think he generally cares about the family. Like if you think, even you think back to like one of the first episodes, like he wanted to be in the picture and he felt kind of bad when she said no for family only. Ah. He has like the sad look on his face, whatever. Um, So I think he cares and, you know, uh, Wit specifically tells him you need to act fast if you're going to do anything. And I think at this point, as far as he knows, and correct me if I'm wrong, he doesn't know that, and again, I could be wrong, but does he know that Lorraine is starting to build an affection I for don't Dot think so. based on... I don't right. think so. So as far as he knows, she doesn't. She still doesn't like Dot. He cares about Dot, and he wants to act. And so I kind of think he's doing this whole thing on his own. You think he's trying to feather like, his nest kind of bit with like, hey, if I solve this on my own and just present her with like all the solutions to her problems, then this will get me in tighter with them or I'll, <laughs> I'll, they'll treat me as family or you just think it's the. I think it's it, it could be two birds with one stone. One True. legitimately trying to rescue Dot and if he's able to get Roy to drop out, he does that, too. So I, I kind of feel like he's going rogue in a way mm. by going to this property by himself. Okay. Personally. Let me ask you. Because I think he thinks he can, you know, try this idea. Let me ask you this. Does Wit do him a little dirty by not saying, oh, by the way, this guy just put a bullet through my windshield? Work fast, but also these fuckers are crazy. Because the thing is, is like there's another interesting thing about. I don't think he knows anything about Lorraine and 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 Dot and any of this Indira kind of doing this this uh, girl power thing, but also right. crucially he was shut out of all of the the dealings that Roy had with Lorraine. He comes in as like, hey, do I need to be part of this? And she's like, no, 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 no. Right. So he had like a brief, yeah. you know, weird interaction with him, but like he doesn't know how oh, kind of right. crazy Roy is, and I. Totally. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if uh, Officer Farr should have let give him a little heads up about. It. See, see my windshield. Before you go out there, hop. But, but I mean, what does he think that this guy's going to drive out there himself? Yeah, yeah. I don't think he was thinking that. But on the other hand, I do think like you, it's wild mm-hmm. that a state trooper saying my hands are tied to do anything when I was just shot at by this guy's compound. Like I don't know. Right. Uh, so in the background, did you catch? You hear ten ninety nine in progress is what makes what take off. No. Did you hear that? Or do you remember that? No. Yeah, so it says 1099 in progress. I looked it up. It's police code for uh, uh, officer being held hostage. I think that's relating to uh, um, Gator being captured by Munch. Oh, that's my, my th- that's what I'm thinking. Okay. Because you don't. I feel like everything that happens in this show that you see in here yeah, is yeah, for yeah. a reason. Oh, yeah. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, okay, they want us to know that 1099's in progress. They could have had any other reason oh, yeah. to have Wit drive off. 
So I looked it up and was like, actually, it's weird. It says either cardiac arrest or a law officer held hostage. So given the scene that we saw earlier, because I was waiting to see, okay, are we going to cut back to the scene of Munch and Gator? And we never do. So I think that 1099 was related to Munch and Gator. Nice catch, personally. Yeah, no, I could could totally see that. So Roy pulls up to the ranch where his third wife, Karen, opines that Dot is actually the family albatross that needs to be gotten rid of, which inspires Roy to take a long walk back (sighs) to the building where he's got Dot chained. Man. Yeah. First of all, the mic drop with the toxic by Britney Spears. Uh, First of all, the The, lyrics are dead on. The downbeat... A minor chord version of Toxic over Don Don Draper's long walk here was pretty yes. pretty choice. Yeah. Yes. One, the lyrics, but also like when you think about the history of Britney and what she went through, it kind of oh, it right. was kind of meta. Yeah, also. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, being you know, her in a sense being held captive. Captive. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, that scene, like, there's always something about a, a long winner that is captivating. I mean, I assume your, your audience probably knows what a winner is, but like a long shot that's not broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there's, there's always something about it that is captivating. Like, whenever I see it, sometimes when I see one, it's not until a while they realize, oh, wait a minute, this has been mm-hmm. one long shot. And then I always rewind it and I to want to confirm. But yeah, I think just like when I think about like, okay, why have this shot? Sylvan White was the director. Like, why did he choose to have this be like this one long shot? I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Like, like what kind of feelings did it bring up for you? So I, cause I, I, I do the same thing when I, I have this growing awareness of like, Oh my God, this is a one And then it's like, okay, why is it a one You know? Right. Um, yeah. So I, I had the exact same reaction. I also do. We, I, I pulled out, uh, I rewound it, got my stopwatch out. And I'm like, this is three seconds shy of two minutes of watching yeah. a man walk yeah. tight zoom on his face. Yes. All but five of those are a one Yes. And I I think it's very interesting how John Hamm plays this guy. His like eyes are lying mm-hmm. ri- uh, lined with t- uh you know rimmed with tears. And I think they're trying mm-hmm. to get at the thin line between or, or the way that men like a toxic trait of masculinity is we convert all of our emotions. We tend mm. to convert. Society teaches us to convert all of the emotions that we should feel as a healthy, complete integrated individual Mm. like are you feeling sad rage are you feeling ashamed or humiliated rage are you feeling hurt Mm. and insecure rage just like all those emotions converted into anger and i can almost like a machine you can see him from the start where his dad's like god damn it karen can't you see the man karen's in a no-win position nothing she can say or do right the only the only use of women are like receptacles for the men's pain and he's you can see his transmission i think that's what i got out of it watching his face set into that mask of start off as like a person who's confused and he's wounded and he's humiliated and you know probably needs to sit down and have a long think about his life no he's just going to turn that into rage and then pour it all out into this woman and then his problem solved because he's not angry anymore yeah 
Uh, I think that's a great take on it. I I would add to that uh, when you sit on him, his face for that long, there's something about the anxiety that's built when you know something bad is coming. And so for that whole time, because when he first gets out, you don't necessarily know that he's going to the camp. You have an idea, but he could be going back to the someplace else. But it's not too long before you realize, okay, he's going to um, to Dot. Mm-hmm. And that whole time, it's just that, that it's just an opportunity to build anxiety, to have your stomach start Tension. feeling uncomfortable because you see it because you see it coming because you just know it's coming. It's about to explode, and and then obviously. It does. And then it's always, there's always something powerful about seeing this type of abuse happen where you don't see it. Yes. But you know that it's happening. It's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a tough scene to watch. And when you know it's happening, especially when you, when you think about how powerful that dot has been all season like avoiding this she's been a badass despite the Mm -hmm. fact that she's so frail Mm -hmm. you know she and this is this is probably the only thing on the planet that actually scares her is this man and despite everything she did she's now back in his clutches and so yeah it was powerful i do think it's a very interesting choice because i feel like a trend in the golden age of television has been to lean into the explicitness like if you have a sexual assault if you have a woman being brutalized to just like really have an unflinching glance Mm -hmm. at it and it's like you know there's been a lot of ink spilt about how that makes people feel and whether that's like fair or not I think it's really interesting how right. this season has mo- mostly shown uh, domestic abuse and sexual assault and stuff through like puppets, through a wide shot of a cabin and you just hear thumps and stuff. And it's kind of like that scene of the puppet beating the other puppet and the screams and like that's almost as disturbing as just seeing it happen because it lets your imagination and just the horror of it. And I don't know. It, it feels like it's... um. It's a lot classier and more artistic way to to handle these subjects, and it feels like it, it lets um, you know dot keep her keep her power through these scenes. And I I saw an interview where the Juno Temple request. I guess they actually shot this assault, and they did it on a like she requested a closed set, which mm. means all non essential. Like unless you're an actor in front of the camera, or right. you're the guy, you're the director, or the the person running the camera, you are no lighting guys, no grips. No, everybody else get the fuck out because it was a very intense, um, intimate, vulnerable scene for her. And it turns out they didn't even they, they decided not to even use it. Um, I think that's really interesting to, the, that that choice that shows that they are preserving this character's kind of dignity and her power because they don't shy away from the brutality when she takes it to Roy in the next scene. We get to see all the chains wrapping around and his eyes bulging. Oh, yeah. And like the violence that she gets to unleash against him, we get to see all of that. And I think it's all it's all very carefully calculated to maximize the sympathy and the empowerment that Dot feels and minimize, you know, the impact of Roy's brutality. But not in like a letting him off the hook or minimize you know, I I, right. I try to say I thought it's just just great choices all around. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. Do you I 
I get the impression it wasn't, he didn't sexually assault her. He just beat her up. There's, I, 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 I think they left it ambiguous. Um, I saw some yeah. people debating it on the subreddit. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I, like I said, I, it's, it's ambiguous. I, I don't think you, uh, have to go for it either way, but the way, you know, that, that like he's panting and all that at the end, um, it's it's I I think it's something that they might suggest, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, if it is the sexual assault, that's that much worse because mm-hmm. um, it's a combination of the two. But yeah, the point that you made next about being able to see her again like a tiger, just yeah. fighting for her life to Giving get him out. everything that he can handle. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and him like quoting Revelation, going on and on about the Great War right. Babylon as his like he's, he's doing right. that, and it's such that you know because we see how like freak nasty he is in the bedroom. He's got his own LED spring loaded sex box with his wife doing all of his kinky demands, and he's he's telling people that they're immoral and they're this and they're that. It's I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's classic. Yeah, it's a classic. Um, pious hypocrisy there, and he, he, he. It seems like he was looking to kill her because if that chain had connected Dude, at any yes. point, those were lethal shots, and she barely yeah. missed him. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I think he was trying. Yeah, to kill for her. sure. He had lost control. Um, and you see Danish right. Graves like that's he's it, capable of it. He's ready. He's he's got he's got no control in the latter half of this episode. Right. And this is. This is the scene where he says to her, the rest was the dream. Yeah. You've always been here. Uh-huh. The rest was the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, which I felt like was another good Wizard of Oz reference. Right. Um, Did you, I don't know, you, you, there's no way you heard this because this episode just dropped today. But when we were, me and Pete were talking about the, because, you know, the last few seasons of Fargo have Wizard of Oz references. We had a big one last yes. last year the last season season four with the tornado yeah. yeah um i'm wondering if they'll do an inversion of that because like with dot her home is the place where she really wants to be and this 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 nightmare thing the wizard of the the land of oz is that is the nightmare i wonder if they'll do an inversion where at some point they'll go black and white uh, to show her kind of liberation and escape from this place, and she'll then go. It'll go back the color, kind of an inversion of what they did last season. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I did hear you and Pete talk about okay. this, um, actually, and uh, yeah, I thought that was an interesting take. It is, um, yeah, it's definitely something they could do. I don't know if they would necessarily specifically go to color or black and white or whatever. I kind of think my feet is a little busted because I think this is the episode it would have happened. Like the second he drags her onto his property that's what I was kind of like, is it going to go black and white? Oh shit, my theory's kind of busted. But I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Still a lot. There's still two two episodes left. Yeah. Uh, So this brutal scene is interrupted by Danish Graves uh, 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 rolling up so so uh, Roy's got to put this away for now handcuffs her to the frame and this is right. the other evidence where you know she's saying I'm going to escape just like Linda and Linda escape and I'm and he's like yeah you're going to end up the same yeah. way I'm going to bury her right next to her and this you can kind of see Dot's yeah. eyeballs click like oh but I don't I don't think she's, she's fully broken through from the delusion yet right I think that one other thing that this scene confirms 
because there's been some discussion online about whether or not Scotty is Wayne's actual daughter, mm-hmm. or is it because she's old enough based on when yes. that left that she could have been Roy's. Mm-hmm. I think we're confirmed in this scene that it's Wayne's. How? Because, you know, Roy make because Roy makes the comment something along the lines of everything that comes after the fruit of the poison tree. The fruit of the poisonous tree, everything that comes after is a mistake. And she says, Scotty's not a mistake. And so it's insinuated that Scotty. Okay. Yeah, that Scotty was conceived after she escaped. Okay. I mean, it would kind of be at this now, uh, after, you know, it's kind of interesting theory to work through. But now, after things happen, I guess I would say it would be kind of a cruel reveal that Scotty is, is Roy's daughter. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but, although um, I wouldn't put it past Noah Holly mm-hmm. to do that. Um, so Indira accepts Lorraine's job offer and incidentally yes, also does. tells her about Roy holding Dot and Lorraine's ready to get to work right away with her new chief of security. That's a pretty small, pretty yeah. small scene. Yeah, I was hoping she took the job. Yeah. Now I heard, uh, weren't you and Jim, I think a couple episodes back when you were discussing when she was offered it, whether or not it would be good for her to take the job. See, I, I feel like I feel like because I look at like the discussion online and people are like warming up to Lorraine actually being a hero. And I can't quite. Yeah, she's definitely being made to be that. Now, I think she might be a hero in a sense of like Ebenezer Scrooge, where it's like Ebenezer Scrooge is not a good person through 75, mm-hmm. 80, 90 percent of uh, Christmas Carol, but he finds redemption at the end through a personal journey he mm-hmm. takes. Right. I, I need to see Lorraine make some changes. And and I, I saw an interesting theory. It's like, well, maybe Lorraine's got the same backstory as Dorothy. Maybe she escaped from abuse and she has made herself from mm. nothing. And I, I know a lot of people that tend to make themselves from nothing you know, have a little bit of there will be blood complex where it's like, you know, they feel that they were right. uniquely powerful and strong and they did it from the for the sweat of their own brow and the, the, their, 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 their physical and mental prowess and they didn't need any handouts. And I wonder if dot, she is seeing reflection of her former self and maybe she's gone cold and domineering and severe as a reaction to her feeling helpless and we i don't know i but i need to find out more about lorraine or i need lorraine to have uh some kind of character arc from ice queen debtor you know because like i honestly who's a bigger villain roy or lorraine is interesting because roy brutalizes a much smaller people in a very direct way but lorraine is brutalizing a nation full of you know millions of people in a much more indirect and personal way like you know is a serial killer worse than like the enron executives that stole two hundred thousand old ladies retirements i don't know yes I, it's like it's yes when you're talking I about mean, immorality it scales it's it's hard to and i think lorraine it definitely is, scales lorraine is kind of like that enron executive she's just amoral and and greedy and that's not good i agree with you she's not good i don't think she's evil that's a good distinction i think that's a good distinction i think roy is i think roy's evil yeah roy is evil yeah and i i don't think lorraine needs to go through some type of redemptive arc i think they've made a she's, case a change. that lorraine to like but not even that i th- i think she's made a. I think they've made a case that lorraine has a very strong sense of 
the subjugation that women have had mm. and women who can take up for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't like women who can't take up for themselves. And I think the reason why she didn't like Dot at first, because she saw Dot as some woman, probably a weak woman who just wanted to take advantage of Wayne's wealth. Yeah. But you start to see it change when Indira made the case that, hey, this is a fighter. She's never asked for anything. Um, here are the bruises. And I think Lorraine sees, okay, this is like a woman who is worthy of my respect. Like she is a true Amazon warrior. I almost see Lorraine as like an Amazon warrior queen. Like I respect women who prove themselves and Dot has proven herself. And so I think that's kind of what is going on. Yeah. And I could see, Lorraine. so, so uh, they've already kind of maybe set this up too. Cause Lorraine was in the middle of the season trying to pivot from debt collection to, lending investing banking right and i wonder if that is like going to be the kind of scrooge transformation where you know and uh, maybe she'll instead instead of just pivoting from you know to predatory debt collection and going into predatory lending she'll like maybe start a credit union or she'll start something that can you know get i don't know subsidize low-income housing or or yeah. maybe she'll find a way to like forgive medical debt or I, but I, I, I do do think I don't, I, I'm not saying she's evil, but I do think what she's doing is bad and that she is preying yeah, on I mean, people she's, and she's, that has to, yes, for me to get on board with like her and Indira and dot riding off into the sunset on board with Indira on board with dot. But it's like, it's, it's like Indian, the last Indiana Jones, of crusade It's like, I don't mind Indy running off the sunset and Indy's dad and the old museum guy. But if like Hitler's second lieutenant was on one of those camels or horses, <laughs> right. like no, wait, stop the movie. What? What? Yeah. And yeah, I think she's yeah. yeah. She needs to do something. She needs to do something. We have two more episodes for her to do something. Yeah. And we know she's going to be riding to the rescue of Dorothy. We know she's coming around on Dorothy. She's coming around on Deera. Maybe she is learning, growing. She's right. got the two ghosts of. We need what ghost of Christmas future to put the scare into her, and then that's Munch. Munch will, and then she'll right. her Scrooge transformation will be complete. <laughs> Oh, we'll be right back with Fargo. You're darn tootin'. The fountain of conversation continues. Here's more Fargo. Um, so I, I, we we talked about this a little bit. Graves pulls up to the Roy compound, the Tillman compound. He gets a phone call from someone, and I think 99.9% of the audience when sees him put that phone in his pocket are going to think that he didn't take the phone call. But what if he actually did take the phone call and that phone is is active in his pocket throughout the whole conversation he has with Roy? What if what if he has worked out some of the Lorraine where it's like Lorraine's like, uh, when you go and confront him, I want to hear it. I want to be there. And and so she's going mm-hmm. and Roy thinks everything, but it's actually they're going to have the location. They're going to have everything. Do you think that's a possibility or is Danish uh, not taking this phone call going to, you know, going to thwart the investigation somehow? Yeah. Uh, I think Danish not taking a phone call lends to him uh, living up to his last name. (laughs) 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 Um, Because, I mean, they already know 
I mean, yeah, they could zero in on his phone to know, figure out where he is. But I think, given the fact that if he doesn't show up, Wit saw him, they could put the pieces together to figure out where he was. Especially like, getting they that necessarily phone call. Need that, that phone call says that his phone was still getting, like, he. Sh- they should have know his precise last location. And it should be on, Roy, yeah, at Roy's ranch. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I think, like I said, I'm going back to what I said earlier. I think in a sense he was kind of going rogue, hoping to do this, you know, Hell's Mary pass Mm -hmm. of threatening Roy with, uh, or not threatening Roy, saying, hey, I can give you this election back if you let her daughter-in-law go, um, and just not realizing who who he was dealing with. So that leads us into the final two scenes. They're kind of intertwined. One, we see Dot noticing a windmill that starts to crumble, some of the realities she's constructed for herself. And then we see Danish Grave learn the difference between soft power and firepower. Yes. Um, What would you have done? Like, as soon as he pulled out that gun, first, he pulled it out once Danish admitted that he was the one Mm -hmm who set up the extra Roy's. And I think, because that was the humiliation. Uh, I don't know about you. I, mean, I think he's thinking, oh, you're not going to use this. Yeah. You're just trying to scare me or something. And I think, I kind of feel like I would have run, but I don't know how much of that is just me knowing how sociopathic or psychopathic that um, Roy is. Uh to think that as soon as he pulled out that cannon it would be time to get the hell out of there but he the the i i think that it just doesn't occur to him that yeah i am a lawyer and you're the sheriff this is your fucking house you are not going to murder me an officer right. of the court you're right and you're like it's just it's like because you can even see like he scoffs if his subtitles even scoffs when he pulls the gun out yes. like this is some bullshit right right north dakota sheriff tactic he's both he's he's the big bad wolf he's huffing and puffing but i let me ask you i'm gonna turn totally. around if roy pulls out that hand cannon and danish graves like says holy shit i can see you're upset i'm leaving now does he walk out of there alive Probably not. Uh, yeah, it's like I think Probably once is. once he walked in there and revealed that he's the one that architected humiliation, he's a dead. He was man. dead. Yeah, 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 for sure, absolutely. But also, I mean, this you is, probably have gotten the this bank. is insane. Like Roy's not like he. This I I don't I. I'm not sure exactly when the end of the road was for him. Whether it was like before the season started, middle of the season. Uh, but this is it. Like, yeah, you cannot kill a man. You cannot kill a, a high-powered pro, uh, lawyer with billionaire friends that had an active cell phone right. in your living room or in your den and get away. I just, I can't imagine. Yeah, he is. He is off the deep end. Yeah, and I think, I think the humiliation from because I think uh, uh, Danish is right. He's not going to win the election, so he knows he's not going to win the election. Excuse me. And, Although I do wonder um, that. I do like I'm I love to hear Noah Holly talk oh, yeah. about why he thinks Stark County would turn against Roy in mass. Because I'm always think I'm always thinking about like you know what the uh, yeah, what yeah, Trump said would lead up to the twenty sixteen election. I could take my gun out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and people would still totally. vote for me. Like that's kind of where we're at. 
So I think you're right. You're probably right. But I don't know. Maybe that only works for guys like, you know, the 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 the, the <laughs> it only works for guys like Donald Trump. I don't <laughs> or, or it's unclear if you can replicate that particular blend in another person. Um Right. But uh so that's that, and then we see Dot is kind of fucking with the cod again. There's this little twelve by twelve window she busts out, tries to scream because I think she knows Danish is there. And then she sees right. that windmill, the windmill where she found that little cash from Linda that had the card in it, and she yep. realizes this is when it really hits her that like, oh my god, I have yeah completely replaced reality. Right. So, so much. Here are the two things about this scene that get me. One, the utter look of despair mm-hmm. in her face, mm-hmm. and the framing where it's framed to make it look like she's behind bars. So let me ask you this before I tell you what I think. Um, when do you think she gets out, and if so, how? I think she's going to be saved by a coordinated effort of multiple people coming together. I think it's going to be a little bit of Old Munch. I think it's going to be a little bit of Indira and Lorraine. It's going to be a little bit of Officer uh, Whitfar. Um, have I left anybody out? Is there another? I might be Gator. There might be an assist from Gator. But I think that like this whole season is about the tiger who doesn't need and does not want and does not accept help. But I think the last two episodes are about how even a fierce tiger mm-hmm. like Dorothy needs her pride. I don't know what you call the the the, mm-hmm. the, the equivalent of pride of, of of lions, or it's about a tiger becoming a lion and being embraced by the pride of lions, literal lions in this case, Lorraine's lions. What what are you thinking? I hope you're right. You don't think she's dying, but... do you? No, no, no. Oh, okay. I don't think she's dying. Yeah, no, no. I don't think that. Um, yeah. That would be No wild. Hollywood have. That would be. I know you can get dark, but not It'd after It'd be like story. Marge and the original but, Fargo getting killed by, you know, Steve Basivi. Yeah. like, what? No. <laughs> right, right. But I started to wonder if she's going to 187 days her way out of that. I don't get that. Cut. What's the 87 days? What's that? 187 the movie have you ever seen the movie 187 days mm. it's about that hiker who went hiking it's based on a true story oh Aaron Ralston Boulder Fil- the guy who c- cuts his own arm off okay yes. okay alright I haven't seen that movie because, about the so here story the, so <laughs> here are the ways they've they've kind of laid the groundwork where they could possibly be it specifically Wit says she looked like a trapped animal yeah they've made numerous um, uh, allusions to her being an animal mm-hmm. fighting no matter what in her mind the only two people who know she's there are Wit and Danish she knows that Danish is dead and she believes that Wit is not coming for her because of what she said mm-hmm. we see the despair in her eyes we know that she's a fighter who will fight for life non-stop she, it's in the middle of the night she she doesn't have time to wait for the cavalry or for a DSS machina to come and get her out. My concern is that her only way out in her mind, I don't know, is to knock her hand off somehow. Like, 
I, and I can see it being dark enough where that happens. Now, the, since there's two episodes Going left, saw, huh? Hmm. That's yeah, wild. I don't, it's wild, and maybe it's too wild. Maybe one happened, but I feel like there are all these little things that they left that could, where you can make that argument. Yeah, yeah. But I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I'm thinking old Munch is going to get naked and covered in blood and shit and start drawing <laughs> runes ever to place. And, but what, and also, but what, the other thing is, like, what, don't ever forget, yeah. this show can go just huh? fucking full-on supernatural metaphysical. Like, this show has that gear, and it hasn't quite popped off yet. Like, we've gotten all the weird, like, maybe Munch is 500 years old, maybe he dabbles in witchcraft, I don't know, but, like... right. Yeah, they could they could do just some like a UFO could show up and beam dot into the <laughs> twilight zone and like that's the thing that can happen. I think that happened in season two. Yeah, the UFO happened in season two, yeah. but it didn't like beam. No, I know, I know. But you know, but it I mean? was a distraction. I know what you mean, but has there ever been a situation where the supernatural that happens in the show? actually that's does anything that's the thing and i worry for my co-host jim like if covid doesn't kill him that might because like that's the thing that we've always <laughs> said is like you know the day that like the supernatural stuff like carries the day in fargo is is going to be a rough day for us but yeah yeah i don't think i don't think it'll go there what motivation you, you mentioned much what motivation would he have to come rescue i don't think he has i think her best chance is we know that Indira and Lorraine are on their way and maybe um, Wit will get involved as well. And so maybe something will happen where the the, the cavalry will come well, especially before anything. Mm-hmm. Indira is hired to be her head of security, which implies that all of those mercenaries that they got from Vegas, the, the you know, the John Wick dudes are going to be under her command. So it's going to be like a small private yeah. army hitting Right, right. Roy's place. So hopefully that'll be it. Yeah. Hopefully that. Maybe my mind's just going too wild and yeah, and she'll get out. Yeah, from but the uh, you can you can tell the despair really sets in when she realizes that's Danish that they're dropping into the the cistern they yeah. got underneath that cattle cattle trough. Uh, yeah. That, that feed bin. Yeah. It's like oh god. And I I think also I think she might be un- recovering a repressed memory of Linda. You know, her being aware that Linda's in that hole. Oh. Yeah, that's a good point. And and uh, you, I what totally do you think? Do you think Gator knows? Because like the way, do you think Gator knows that Linda's dead? No. His mom's dead. No, because based on his reaction when he came out the cabin, yeah, he wasn't acting like someone who knew his mom was dead. He was acting like someone who's struggling with what she said. Like if he knew for a fact his mom was dead, he wouldn't even need to buy it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. He yeah. he was moved by it. So okay, the idea. I think he thinks that his mom ran away and he is now being faced with the fact that no, his dad probably killed his mom. It's interesting you, to your, yeah. your point in the middle of the night situation though. Um, I know what I, I thought I detected the sounds of footsteps approaching in snow as the credits hit implying that like dots oh. not going to have the whole night to herself. Um, that's the one meaning thing. he's coming back yeah that she might yeah she's not gonna have time to gnaw her foot off or at least not until roy has another You're, i mean another that's a good point her. too another round or it could be old munch her. any could be naked shit covered old munch <laughs> all right because munch may not have a motivation to save her specifically but he would have a motivation to take 
Gator back to the compound. He has a motivation to take down the Tillmans, and I think he's at least yes. I think he at least admires her as a force yes. of nature, as a that's a, and and oh, we haven't talked about this, Ron. That's a great dot. Is she supernatural? It's interesting because like there, there's, oh. there's a whole theory that like she apparently went from uh, Stark County. Uh, North Dakota mm-hmm. back to Scandia, Minnesota, which is an eight hour drive. And it's reinforced in this episode where Trooper Fire says, You're a long way from home. I'm getting off. I can I can drive you back, implying that it's longer than you can get on foot. But she made that trip in a single night on foot, barefoot, barefoot in the cold and the snow. I'm I'm wondering like that's something I've I've been kind of teasing around. Or they might reveal that. Dorothy is kind of like the same type of thing the old bunches make maybe she's a new sin eater or mm-hmm. she might have some kind of way but then you're going into the, the supernatural actually being a deus, deus ex machina rather than just a exactly mystery. which you don't want. yeah so right right now I remember you and Jim discussing that regarding the first episode I, I kind of like your point you just made about Munch having a respect for her because mm-hmm. I remember the way he talked about her being a tiger mm-hmm. I could see that I could see him showing up, wanting to take the Tillmans down, having him show up, be the distraction that's needed to keep Dot safe for another period of time from Roy, like the way Danish was, and then the rest of the cavalry coming in, and then, I don't know, Dot cutting through the rest of the chain or something. So I'm starting to have a little bit more hope that she's going to keep all of her appendages (laughs) You think old Munch makes it out of the season? Does he live the Munch again? I do think. Yeah. Yeah. I do think Munch makes it. I'm not too sure about Gator. Roy sure as hell better not make it out. Um, Here's, I have a theory. No, Roy is, Roy actually might end up in a wood chipper and honest to God, like I'm kind of like, you know, looking to see like some him getting into some kind of farm machinery. Uh, Like, yeah, they're going to, he's going to end bad. It's going to be bad and bloody. So when I, when I, I was thinking is going, if we're going off the wizard of Oz analogy and if Roy is the wicked witch of the West, how is the Wicked Witch of the West killed? She was killed with water. Mm. And there's this whole thing with Roy in his hot tub in season in the in episode yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. It'd be really cool if somehow the water from that hot, hot tub leads to his demise. If he's drowned in it, I don't know. It was just a water. I was trying to think, no, okay. No, no, I like that. I what like could that. Be, what, what could it be a Wizard of Oz way for Roy to go out? Uh, but he needs to go out. Yeah. Um, the question is who who does he take with him? I think I think if Ga- I think if Gator does go out, I think it will be bittersweet. I, I think, like I said, it may be in his redemption and and saving and saving Dot. Um, maybe he lays his head on her lap one last time and then he dies or something. I don't know. I can see that happening. Um, I see Lorraine making it out. Although I could see, I'm 50 50. I could see her, um, I could see her getting, getting the kick in the bucket in this season. Because it would be interesting if, if Lorraine dies, 
I think mm-hmm. Wayne would take over her company, and I would like to see like what right. Wayne and Dorothy could do with those billions of dollars, focused not on greed right. but on like community building or something. That would totally. be interesting too, and it's a way to maybe she could redeem herself from her with know, Indira as their as their chief of security, yeah, as their new Danish grace, yeah, and is is their new Danish grace in a sense, totally. All right, I think we got it figured out. I think we got it figured out, buddy. Uh, you got any other thoughts on the episode yeah, well, or any other predictions for us or should we get the feedback? Um, yeah. Yeah. So one question I had was, has there been any def- confirmed connection yet of this season to any of the past seasons? Because every season's been connected somehow. I have a theory as to what a connection could be, but I just want to make sure there hasn't already been. Are there any theories out? I haven't read any of the interwebs. I haven't seen anything. Uh, I know that like Lorraine's husband, he's got a really unusual name like Wick. And that was also mm-hmm. the name of a minor character. I think he's the guy who was like Mr. R- Mr. Uh, Wrench and Numbers Handler in the first season is also named Wick. But like right. that's the only one that I've seen. That's the only one that I've seen. It doesn't mean it's the only one that exists because like, you know, the uh, I, I realized that like for the last two weeks when we were on vacation, I wasn't like looking at what the subreddit was say. So like I missed like two or three weeks of community speculation. But like, yeah, I, I haven't right. I haven't seen the connections yet. So this is my hope. I don't this I don't even think it's a long shot. It's a medium shot. So in my theory is like whenever there's a main character that's a black character, he's connected somehow. You got a Jerome what theory if, for me. What if Wit, oh, Wit is the son of the narrator from season four? Because you know the the teenager who who gets out at the end of season four. I think her last name's Ethelred. Uh, Smutney or something? Oh yeah, who becomes the the guy of the uh the, the, that's trying to take over? Um, was the Lindegards? I forget in season two. What is what was that guy's name? Well, well, that you're thinking of. I think it was like Milligan. Yeah, Mike um, Milligan. Like that. Mike Milligan. Mike Milligan. Well, he he was the son of Chris Rock's character. Yes, that's revealed. Yes, in season four. You're I'm saying about far the, as the nar- son of him. No, no. The narrator from season four was that teenage girl. She's the one, the really smart one Ethelridge. at the beginning of season four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Etheridge. Yeah, 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 yeah. pronounce it? Yeah. Uh, and then at the end, she goes off with her. Because oh. she's old enough where her son would be Wit's age. Interesting. Because that, that was the mid, that was around the 50s. She was a teenager, so she could have had him in the mid seventies. That would make him forty something in two thousand nineteen. I do like. I mean, I can see kind of like the 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 cut from the same cloth. You know, those are pretty. She's a pretty righteous character. He seems like he's got a lot of right. moral integrity and fortitude. Exactly. And he's brave, great. Yeah. That's my that's my secret hope. That's my secret hope. Does he have a ghost watching all, I, out for him? Is that why he survived Mister Munch's assault? Yeah, yeah. Uh, another possibility of what would be a good connection, Lorraine. Like you said, Lorraine somehow could be connected to one of the past seasons. But you'd be curious to see what the connection is and how obvious they will or won't make it. 
Yeah, I was. Um, oh, I wanted to say something about. No, I'll leave that for feedback. I think. I think I got it. There's a there's yeah. something of feedback in that. Um, but yeah, because yeah. I, I had. That was I'm me. always looking for the bag of cash, which me and Pete had a little bit of uh, disagreement about, and I've got a resolution for that in the feedback. But maybe we should get do you any you you disagreement got, about what bag about the your disagreement about. Yeah. So he, I said, like I've been always been looking for the bag of money that Steve Buscemi buried in the Fargo movie to come back up. And he's like, well, that was that, the season one. That, that showed up found in that. season one. But you see, you're, we're, we're right. going to spoil the feedback here. I want to, I want to entice people oh, to okay. listen to feedback to see how, oh, okay. how that resolves. Cause it turns out that money is still in play, even though it was addressed in season one. Oh, it's here. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, you're, you're trying to get me to spoil feedback, man. So no 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 <laughs> you got any other points or should we get there? Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, uh, so that's going to be the episode this week. Uh, we're about to consider feedback. Fargo at baldmove.com if you want to send stuff in. Uh, but first, I got to tell you that uh, if you would like to follow us on social media, we're at bald move everywhere except for TikTok. We're at baldest move there. If you like what we're doing here at Bald Move, you want more custom uh, premium bonus additional audio and video content and ad-free feeds check out our patreon at support.baldmove.com uh you can join instantly and get access to tons and tons of extra content and again ad-free feeds uh fargo at baldmove.com is again our feedback address we got justin s up first uh we had a question this is back from dot getting forcibly committed to the psych ward and we're like how is the psychic hospital the same hospital justin s said i assumed all hospitals have psych wards i was born in 82 i've had several surgeries over the next 20 years and had a family member admitted to a psych ward all in the same hospital in sandusky ohio fellow buckeye here maybe it's uh, a smaller town thing this checks out like now that i think about it like what's would would you know, rural Minnesota or North Dakota have a separate mental institution, emergency room. It, it's probably all connected. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, go ahead. No, I was going to say my brother used to work in a psych ward that was in a hospital in New Jersey. Yeah, I actually had the anonymous person re- reached out that's like, and they didn't want to use their name, but they have some firsthand experience with this stuff too. And, they said, uh, in my state, all you need for an involuntary commit for mental health is a judge order. This can be done over the phone and takes about an hour. We also transport directly to the hospital ER for a 24-hour hold for medical evaluation. Not sure, for, sure hmm. for how long you get this arrangement to stick, but it wouldn't be hard for someone wielding a lot of political power to have you tied up in a local ER for at least a short term. If you were trying to build a case to take custody of a child away from their mother, having an involuntary mental health stint on your record would be most helpful. Uh, and then someone else chimed in saying that a police can arbitrarily extend the mental safety hold for like 24 hours in their state. And then oh, okay. you can uh, a, a doctor can voluntarily extend it to up to 72 hours. And then you need a court order, which I hear is pretty easy to get. Like if a doctor calls and says this patient's a threat to themselves or others, most judges are going to sign off on that, at least for in the short term. So, yeah, right. that was a lot more plausible than I was uh, I was thinking. Yeah, I agree. Brett from Fishers, Indiana says, I don't see Lorraine as a villain. I did at first, but that changed in the Tiger episode. Lorraine seems to have created her hard persona in order to deal with the world she inhabits. While she's crass, she isn't wrong in what she says about debt. She isn't wrong in how she describes the world. She could definitely be nicer about it when she interacts with Indira, but I'm not going to be the one to tell Lorraine she should be nicer or smile more. That'd be a 
I think that'd be a bad thing for a guy to do. <laughs> Uh, the Tiger episode is where I first started to stand Dot and Lorraine. After the Tinder Trap episode, I'm adding Indira to make this a thruple, a threesome couple. <laughs> I can't wait to see how they take down Roy and his operation. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I'm with you, Britt. Yeah, you, you and uh, you and Roy have gone squishy on Lorraine on me. Uh, I do think she is villain, a villain, but I don't think she's beyond redemption. Um, when you say, what do you when you say villain? What do you mean by that? I mean, it's implied that her business is kicking out an elderly couple in November in Minnesota from their house. Like, I understand is that, that her you, business, though. Well, I mean, she's a debt collection. We've definitely seen her, you know, like the, the fact that Indira's car is getting repossessed. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. There's, it's it's I, I it's all about the morality of debt, I guess. And, you sure. know, like, uh, you know, everyone, because the system we live in, everyone's got to got to make money in the way you got to make it. But like the way she talks about it, the way she talks about the personal responsibility of it, the way she talks about like it doesn't it doesn't seem like like I said, she's evil. She's 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 a villain in the same way Ebenezer Scrooge is, you know, she's living her mm-hmm. life the way society tells her she should. But that's an insane sure. way to live, you know? Um, yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, you know, it's uh, uh, <laughs> what I'd say about Lorraine. You could you could abstract just almost any arbitrary billionaire in the world. Um, <laughs> Zuby That's says true. on your Fargo season five episode five cast, you guys discussed the two FBI agents and questioned whether they were mainly there for comedic purposes. I think the characters are pretty much the same as Key and Peele's FBI agents from season one. They're side characters investigating the season's main antagonists who have funny moments and if I recall correctly, die a typically horrific Fargo death. I don't believe this <laughs> right. season's agents will make it out alive either. I, I can see that. I can see that. I can also see them being the equivalent of the CIA agents in Burn After Reading where they're like one mm-hmm. step behind the action, always reporting back to the superior officer. And that it's kind of like, um, like a Kafka esque farce. Um, right. Rather than the more key and peel, you know, keystone cops routine they did in season one. But I, I actually like that. Right. They are pretty funny. They are pretty funny and quirky and offbeat for FBI agents. They're very Mulder and Scully. Yeah. There's something about FBI agents in movies. I always think about, uh, was it Johnson and Johnson and Die Hard? <laughs> Weren't they the FBI? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, they are. Uh, so, I just, uh, just watched that in the theater less than a month ago. And uh, but talking yeah. about Keystone Cops, Die Hard as right. an institution has very low opinion of at least West Coast Cops. But I guess the East, yes. the East Coast Cops and Die Hard 2 don't get much better treatment. Like John McClane's the only cop right. that has a fully functional brain. <laughs> right. Uh, Zach says, "Hope you all had a good break. Overall, I like these episodes, and I have a few comments. I hate the title sequence about it being a true story, and when the rest of the title fades out to leave true, it's so stupid. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's. I hate it. You I, hate it too. I hate. I'm totally with this. I hate it. It drives me." so batty what's the point like for the first movie like for the movie i don't remember like it's not true for the movie either like the movie there's nothing but the i don't think it fades out and does that thing and like i I could see the making the argument to do this at the start of every season but it feels a little weird commit to the bit self-important to do it every episode yeah 
I can see that. Yes, maybe at the beginning of the season, by every episode. But like, what's the point of doing it at all? Honestly, like, I just feel like there's something a when you first saw the movie, whether or not it was wrote for the movie, there was something powerful about the possibility that this stuff or something close to it happened and they changed all the names, but this is exactly how crazy it was. And whether or not it really happened, yeah. you can find out later, oh, it never really happened. I think so. But now, yeah. they do it every season, every episode, so you know, like, these can't all be crazy true stories. So, like, I don't know to what extent, I don't know to what end we have these opening credits. It's a weird, that this it's, a is a bit, true story. it's a framing device, because I think, what, season three revealed that these are all stories from some kind of, like, true crime in the Midwest kind of book, and it's a signature. It's mm. kind of like the way Little Wayne, like, all of his tracks begin with a... <laughs> <sighs> Kind of, it's a, you know, it's the kind of thing he does the to identify right. that, that this is a little Wayne joint. Like I, that's Noah Hawley saying, "This is my Cohen Brothers shit. This is my this this is this is me doing the Cohen Brothers thing." True, but I at every True. single episode, it's much. It's a bit much. <laughs> right, I know. Yeah, I like if you're going to do it, I can see it at the beginning of the season. Imagine if every um, if every but, reel in Fargo, every 10, 15 minutes, you got that thing on there. It's like, no, get out of here. Right. One and done. Yeah. One and done. Yeah. Zach says, number two, I miss Wit or whoever this South Dakota patrol officer was. He was competent, and I'm not sure where he's been. Zach, you're the rainmaker. You you mentioned his name, and <laughs> now you got him. So and he comes back. He's And it looks like he's going to be a big part of the, the rest of the season. Uh, Which is nice. Three, why did they add the Sin Eater subplot? You can make a character hard to kill all 80s action heroes without the mysticism. I mean, you're preaching to this choir, Zach. I If this guy was just like an Anton Sugar, remorseless killer, amoral killer, I think he'd be just as fascinating as if he's maybe a 500-year-old Welsh Sin Eater. But... I do think I do think thematically the Sin Eater thing adds a lot. They haven't done much with it. I think that's why. But there's something tasty about, like, look at how the upper class has abused the lower class through history. Back then, I mean, that's the, that's the sick thing about it. If you get into the mind of the Sin Eater thing, they're not taking this man's mm-hmm. fortune. They're not taking this man's earthly belongings. They're literally taking his soul. This man's going to go to hell for mm-hmm. these people. And they mm. believe that. And that's like, right. I mean, Jesus, at least when we die, all debts are done, you know, like uh, right. with, with, with Lorraine's Lion Company and all that. So, like, I, I do think it adds it. I But it's like Holly just puts a whole bunch of stuff in the gumbo and lets it cook, man. Like, I, <laughs> you know, why? Why is, uh, you know, why? Why is a sausage in a gumbo? Why is rice? Why is chicken broth? Why is salt? Like any one thing you could question, but they're all just adding flavor, right? Well, I think we have two episodes left for him to complete the loop on the significance of Munch being a, a sin eater True. specifically. True. Yeah, we're trying to get personally. The book I don't think he's all the way through it. Yeah, and personally, I don't think he's five hundred years old. I think like I maybe he's a descendant of that original Munch that we saw. Yeah. Yeah, and we've talked about it in previous episodes the fact that his uh, Ole is like a, uh, a form of the Norwegian way to say son of, you know, Olaf mm, is son of yeah. somebody. Ole is a, is a form oh, of that. Right, so, right. like, he's, he's, you, you probably understand it's he's son of a monk 
Um, mm-hmm. So like that would imply he's not the original. He's so uh, yeah. I, I think exactly. Um, and number four, I like the acting. I'm invested in all the main characters. There's a lack of subtlety in most of the secondary cast, though. For example, the golf husband can't just be a guy chasing a dream way past where he should, but he is a man baby who wants a mommy wife. I agree yeah. with you here, too. I think I, I this is kind of like uh, the use a Star Trek term. Me and Jim sometimes talk about this, like Star Trek Next Generation Syndrome, where it's like Patrick Stewart, mm-hmm. fucking amazing. Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, random planetary governor of the week. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes you get uh, James Cromwell and sometimes you get some dude from Days of Our Lives that can't hit his marks and is obviously reading off cue cards like they can't all be they can't all be bangers i guess um that's a burn in one of the longest running daytime soap operas of history right. you're saying they're not real actors is that is that what you're saying Aaron? am i starting beef with the daytime soaps oh man oh man will yeah. our podcast empire ever survive that that battle um i just realized you're you're aaron and i'm Aaron, <laughs> I'm Aaron, and you are Aaron. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it just that just hit me. <laughs> I, I but I, I think the, the the Lars thing is that I think that's there's yes. been a couple of excesses this season. Um, the Lars thing, and the son of the mother, of the older woman. Mm, a little too. He much. was a little. He, he was a little too mustache twirly bad. Like. He was a kind of over the top, I thought. I just needed a reason you know he for Indira to, yes, to be hitched to, to show this us guy. something. Like when when she yeah. like when they revealed the fact that he has this expensive drum kit from his last dream that she threw everything into. I'm like, oh my god, you've done this more than once, girl. Yeah, girl. yeah. They needed to something to to make us believe why she would stay with this dude. You're listening to Fargo with Bald Move. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Fargo on Bald Move. All right, Spoof Finger, who is an actual Minnesotan, had some comments All right. uh, specifically about Leptard, which I think like I've ne- I've not heard that myself, but like I I think mm-hmm. it's a, a Midwestern uh, insult. He says I'm a Minnesota born and raised, and I've only ever heard Leptard on this show. I'm from the cities, but I have family in some rural areas and haven't heard it once. It's not in lexicon with hot dish, ope. Let me scoot right past you there. Duck, duck, gray duck, meat raffle. Yeah, sure. And oofda. I don't know where they got this from. Um, I mean, that's the thing. It's like the Midwest is interesting because ope is definitely like an Indiana, Ohio thing. But duck, duck, Mm -hmm. gray duck and meat raffle. What the fuck are you talking about? You know, but, (laughs) you know, we've got we've got uh, Cincinnati chili and uh, we probably say soda instead of I don't know. I there's a lot of subtle differences between like upper Midwest and lower Midwest and mm-hmm. it gets weird in Ohio and Pennsylvania the closer you get to the coasts. But uh, he also says on a military model says I was in the army for 10 years and I never knew anybody that had model planes or tanks or recreational sand tables. It's not like people were hiding their nerd them either. There was guys in the Warhammer 40 K painting minis, magic the gathering tons of world of Warcraft folks. A guy who was still in the EverQuest, one dork in MOS training, claimed that he was able to speak Klingon. 
Um, <laughs> I was in from 2003 to 2014, which is peak global war on terror. So maybe people are too cynical to be in actual military models. We probably would have bagged them for drinking the Kool-Aid. I feel like the way I think Jim was talking about this angle about the the Wick being like this kind of frustrated military historian kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I think for this kind of war gaming, this kind of like you know building Panzers and Shermans and stuff, you have to go up above right. Colonel rank. Like this isn't going to be right, the enlisted. Right. This isn't going to be your. This is you got to be fifty years old and and at least a full bird <laughs> Colonel before you start getting into this kind of shit. Right. Right. Um. Jordan G says your coverage on Indira for the season of Fargo has suddenly made me think of potential parallels with Dom from Mr. Robot. Do you know? Have you did you watch Mr. Robot? I didn't. Okay, I know about it so tangentially, but I never watched so it. So Dom is an FBI agent character played by Grace Gummer, who's the daughter of Meryl Streep, by the way. Oh wow! Uh, she cool. says something about you both speaking about Lorraine potentially recruiting her in particular. This isn't a direct parallel, but Mr. Robot Dom has a fascination with crime and the aspects of surrounded. Rosella's fighting crime, she's intrigued and impressed by it. For example, she works with Darlene, which is Mr. Robot's sister, turns out, mm-hmm. which leads to often pushing her professional boundaries. An example is how Indira is intrigued by Dot, so she seems to agree to mind her child against her better judgment. The way Dom becomes embroiled with the Dark Army, and though devastated, it brings out her brilliance. If Indira does go to work uh, for the dark side, a.k.a. Lorraine, it could bring the, be that snap of brilliance that we've been missing. I agree with your comments that she is a good character, but seems too deferential at times. So I hope so. Uh, so she's saying, or this person rather is saying that much in the way Dom was had a setback by dabbling in crime, it also allowed her to reach a higher gear, peak performance. She's thinking Indira right. working for uh, Lorraine's going to do, and I, I think we're starting to see the start of that. Hmm. I can see that. I can almost see them balancing each other in a way where Endira pulls Lorraine a little bit closer to the light side. Yeah. And Lorraine gives Endira a little bit more self-respect and power and uh, self-assertion. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, side note, Jordan says, long time listener, first time emailer. Love your show. Thank you very much. Always love hearing that. Oh, cool. All right. So that's catch us up to previous episodes. Now our new stuff. This is episode eight. Uh, Jamie H yeah. says seeing Roy force dot to come home with him and prison her and then come after her was a really tough watch props to the music department mm-hmm. for using the most unsettling cover of toxic I'd ever heard Dot put up a good fight, but I think round one goes to Roy. And now that she knows where the bodies are buried, literally I'm going to need her to go ahead and stab Roy in the face repeatedly before she escapes. John Hamm, seriously scary in this episode yeah. uh, to distract myself from the horrible abuse in this episode I thought up an alternate history spinoff series in honor of fallen lawyer fixer Danish Graves what if Dave Foley's mm. Danish Graves met Mark Hamill's Arthur Pym from How- Fall of the House of Usher did you see that on Netflix this year Mm-mm. Mark Mm-mm. Hamill plays like, what if the Joker became 70 years old, retired, became a lawyer? That's the lawyer character he plays in Fall of the House of Usher. Just, just, yeah, it, it, oh, it's wow. something else. Because what if uh, they met at the annual Lawyers for Rich Evil Assholes conference? They hit it off, decided to meet up <laughs> regularly for drinks to vent about the ridiculous shit they have to bail their clients out of. Then, because I'm an unhinged degenerate shipper, hey, 
no shame in that. I'm an unhinged <laughs> degenerate shipper too. Uh, they fall in love and run away together. After going on a global trot, a globe-trotting adventure, they settle down in Thailand and open a small cafe on the beach, living out the rest of their days in peace, far away from psychotic rich assholes, supernatural beings, and trigger-happy corrupt sheriffs. I'm blanking on a name for this rom-com adventure. Any suggestions? So he's saying Danish... Danish Graves is going to fall in love with Mark Hamill's Arthur Pym from this other show as because he's the same way he the ushers of this powerful billionaire family that had all these sex right. scandals and he was always covering up for them right. and you know wearing gloves and injecting needles and doing all this shit and like they're, they're they, these two fixers meet and fall in love they bond over their shared <laughs> common history i like that idea if we find out that's how danish lost his eye from his lover <laughs> mark campbell took it out of him yeah, You're right. um, for name I was thinking Grim Adventures because you've got Graves and Pim Grim. It's like their couple mm, celebrity couple right. name. Yeah, I don't know. Make it work. Maybe that may that help, Jamie. If you get if you get optioned, I I want I want to cut me me and Ron, a Ron and a Ron right. want 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 to cut. <laughs> want to cut. <laughs> All right, Andy, which you might know better as Dash Engine on Discord. Uh, on our community discord says I'm predicting that at the end of the season there will be some interaction between Munch, Debt and all of humankind and COVID something like he will judge the moral Hmm. debts for mankind so great that he sends a plague upon the world or he dies with no one to take on his accumulated sins therefore punishment is distributed across all of humanity there's got to be some reason Holly is set to show only weeks before the pandemic though if Holly does go down that route I'm not sure I'd find it very palatable given how many people suffered and died from COVID that's the rub. Um, like everyone that died of COVID was a was some kind of divine judgment from the sin eater. But I don't. So like the stated reason Holly said is that he, there was like the the COVID was like the last like COVID was riding up the roller coaster. You know, you hear the claim the chain clinking, and COVID was right before we went over and full on into crazy town. And he said it deliberately there. Right. But I don't know. I could see like you know like John Coffee in the Green Mile when you know he coughed up all the mm-hmm. evil. I could see like if, I was if, just thinking that. No way. Aaron and Aaron are like we're 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 we, I was thinking that because I was we thinking achieve full mental when, linkage like in uh we, we were in the drift like in uh Pacific Rim. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh we don't I know like what happened. Uh but yeah, when he when coffee sp- Spits out all the evil into what's his name? Wild Bill. What if, in a sense, the Wild Bill, right? What if, in a way, I almost said crunch, Munch does that to Roy? Ooh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, I'm going like to give Roy you all releases. my sins. Yeah. Yeah, and he says it, so we know it. Like, And, and I'm not saying it's going to be a supernatural thing but he says something to suggest that that is what he's doing and how it manifests i don't know but it can manifest itself in such a way maybe roy legitimately people think he goes crazy and, they, and he gets put away the way wild bill was oh that's or maybe interesting because killing all, himself crazy religious fundy enough that he might believe it totally yeah, he would believe it. Yeah. And that might be enough to kind of send him over. Like, that would be almost a cool way for him to go where he doesn't 
die, but he just he has like a wild bill in. He goes he goes mad. But want, and he's put away. I want to, I want to test Andy's thing. So like you're, but we're both of the thought that like if old Munch gets killed and like he falls to the ground and like black evil goes out to his out of his mouth into the air, and then like in the post credits, there's like news reports about a new disease somewhere in China. Like we're not fans of that literal. Like, no, I'm not. Co- I, don't okay. like, I don't like that. It's idea, a little so. Pat Robinson 700 Club saying AIDS is God's <laughs> condemnation of homosexuality, right? right? I don't know. I don't know if right. I can get, but it's 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 an interesting idea, Andy. Yeah. Uh, Hectorino Salamanca says, "Not that old Jim is ever replaceable, but I honestly really enjoyed Aaron and Pete's coverage. You two were a great duo, so I'm looking yeah, forward so to did. more." Pete yeah, Peppers. Pete's Peppers is Jim's COVID eater. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, appreciate that, Hectorino. Um, oh, he also he wanted so he he put in something about he thought there was something with the red ice scraper being a Fargo reference because that was the tourniquet that that Dot used to twist, you know, the the, the Trooper Fires. Oh, interesting. But then he sent, like, 12 right. hours later, sent me an email saying, I actually went back and rewatched that scene. It was a yellow ice scraper instead of red ice scraper. <laughs> okay. But no, it doesn't work. this is the opportunity for me to adjudicate me and Pete's uh, faulty memories of season one of, of Fargo. So Fargo the okay. movie, Steve Buscemi shot in the mouth, uh, wants to double cross Peter Stormare, buries the cash on the side of the road and has a red ice scraper as his marker to get. Of course, he goes to Peter Stormare. Peter Stormare kills him, feeds him in a wood chipper. That cash is lost. (laughs) Season one of Fargo introduced Starvos, Stravos? Stravos, the supermarket king who turns out started his fortune by finding a bag of a million dollars on the side of the road in 1987, which lines up with the Fargo timeline exactly. And I'd forgotten that. I felt like a big dumbass. But I kept on mm-hmm. reading the wiki, and Lorne Malvo, with his biblical plagues, so torments Stravos that he thinks the only remedy is to take the briefcase, put a million dollars in it, and he goes and reburies it at the same spot. True. So, yes, the Fargo money worked its way into Fargo, the TV show, but it's also still out there. As of what two thousand nine? Yes, I forget when the first season of Fargo was set. Two thousand twelve, right? So it's still floating around. the 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 same metaphorical, almost the same. It's not the same literal cash, but the same metaphoric cash. And that's that's how I because yeah. I, I, I remembered. I'm like, oh shit, Pete might be right. Maybe they did find that. But I I remember thinking it's still out there, and turns out we're both right, which is the best ways. The best way friends can be yeah, right. Yes, so that's think. a good way. <laughs> yes, it is. All right. Finally, this is uh, I I I got uh, I got Ron prepped for this. I said we got a tome. We got a serious serious Ooh. work uh, feedback that a person sent in. John G from Seattle. Uh, this is a great email. Uh, and it's long, but it's very interesting. He says it's been pretty clear for some time now that Holly's theme this season is about debt and what it means. And I want to talk about the 2011 anthropological masterwork by David Graeber entitled "Debt: The First Five Thousand Years." In this hmm. book, Graeber explores the foundations and concepts of debt across all human cultures and history. What is it? Where does it come from? And why does it have a moral component to it? Graeber shows us this idea around since Adam Smith that human societies existed in elaborate barter systems until they finally arrived at the concept of money as a complete myth. The way it's usually told 
and is still told in bad economic textbooks today, is that gee whiz, barter sure was hard. People had to find this double coincidence of Watts, where someone wanted something that someone had, and that other person also happened to want something the other person had, and, and a fair and equitable quantities to have equivalent value, and boy, oh boy, money came along and fixed all that trouble. It's like, you know, how do you trade a pig for a chicken, and how do you trade meat for eggs, right. or a silver trinket for a bale of hay? Like, what the fuck? Um... He says, as an anthropologist, Graeber is able to say that in all human societies living and dead that we've ever found or studied, no such barter system existed and no evidence uh, is provided that it ever existed. Instead, what actually happened was that ancient peoples were not like strangers in a modern city trying to extract value from another stranger. Rather, they were all intimately connected in a dense web of social obligations and shared history, and they operated within a system of credit and debit with each other. It wasn't debt written down on a ledger, but debt like, Susan borrowed my rake yesterday, and now Susan owes me something. That something didn't need to be another rake or an equivalent value of a rake because Susan wasn't a stranger. You're going to see Susan tomorrow and every other day, and there'd be a ton of this borrowing and helping and sharing. A sort of mental list gets created in everyone's head about every other person in the village, this vague accounting it's not calculated it's not mathematical it's just everyone staying roughly equivalent to each other and sharing and helping this actually means that you want to be in debt everyone being in just a little bit of debt to everyone else is what creates human society it only becomes an issue if there's a layabout someone who takes way more than they give someone who's grossly and unquestionably out of proportion to the rest of the village in his vague accounting this is so serious to village har- harmony that sometimes that person would just be killed because you can't have those people. They fuck up the system. So now we switch to our current world and its system. Debts are not social webs of mutual obligations holding the whole village together. Debts are now merely numbers on ledgers, amounts people owe. Debts are not tied to people who live together, but are obligations to strangers for intangibles. Debts are not even tied to people who can see or touch one another. They can be transferred to other people digitally across the globe. Debts are predatory instruments. Yet in this world, we still have this morality tied to it, the morality of paying one's debts. Graeber brings up an interesting transition in Mesopotamia that happened at 25, between 2500 and 3000 BC. It's mostly a credit economy with currency reserved for the gods, apparently. But in this system, women were abundantly participating in public life. But by 1200 BC, after the introduction of big wars leading to coinage, the, the you know currency being created which led to markets and then systems of public debt human relations became commoditized human beings became exchangeable the concept of honor representing protection became men protecting his woman from being subjected to commodification which led to a hard patriarchal system where women could no longer participate in public life anyway the point i'm making is that i think holly is getting at more than just pointing out how rapacious this system is it's not just the system is obviously sick and ooh isn't that awful but it's trying to explore these more alternative concepts of debt there's a once very common practice in older societies of something like a debt jubilee because once it got so out of whack and too few people held debt over so many society couldn't function so you just erase it and start over like every 25 50 years or whatever they would just be like all debts are off but I think more than that, Holly's exploring how debt used to be what bound society together. Debt could be a force of good for different societies and systems. At the heart of debt, we have the concept of a promissory note, which is basically an IOU. I'm taking this loan. I promise to pay you back. Debt is a promise. 
We see Dot promise Scotty pancakes in episode one that Scotty never got. We see Dot stating that the, or staring at the pancake box in the gas station, even while under assault. It's the first thing she does when she gets back home safe, make those pancakes for Scotty. When Dot's captured at Roy's, she's talking about how she promised her a kitten, and so she has to get back. And this tale, all the predation and revenge and billionaire debt companies profit off of suffering, all that kind of debt. Maybe there's another kind of debt that's more like love, and maybe that's what our story is trying to say. Wow, it's a lot there. That is a lot to think about. But yeah, it's interesting that when you see Indira and Lorraine and Dot start to work together, like that kind of like social obligation, you know, like I'm scratching your back, you scratch the idea that like in a Nate, you don't keep track of with your neighbors who did what for who. It's just kind of like, oh, I, you know, I, I thought there's a lot to this. Um, it's funny. I talked to my sister who lives in a rural community where they do like farming and stuff mm-hmm. is that they had, they still do this kind of thing where it's like, you know, John helped us bail the hay that one time. So we owe him when he goes on vacation, we got to look after his horses and we got to get, it's like they're, right. and then they also know when someone's getting a little out of whack where it's like, you know, this person's taking advantage of to give a little, get, 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 get a little thing. And, and, uh, it's an interesting way to look at debt. No, what I like about the letter is that it does lead you into this deeper discussion about debt and the history of debt. And when you enter that discussion and you think about how you think about the themes that Noah Hawley is introducing, uh, ownership and debt, um, who owns what, who owes what. And I think it's really interesting. I don't know if they did this on purpose, but the role that women have in the show and the role that women have in the history of debt. You know, it wasn't until 1972 or whatever that women in this country could even get a credit card. Absolutely. So right. I think that's I think that's interesting. Um, women in the Bible used to be owned by men. I think that's interesting. Going back to his thing about Jubilee, you know, like in the Bible, um, it was six years. You could be an indentured servant for six years. Um, in the Code of Hammurabi, in fact, it was Law 117. I was just making a video about this today. It was three years. You're dead. And this was around 1700 BCE. And so this idea of debt and and a person's life being tied to it and the role or the maybe the role the 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 impact that it had on women in that time because you could become an indentured servant to pay off your debt and then it would had you had that jubilee it'd be six years for hebrews three years for the code of hammurabi but women could be indentured servant forever. It was only the man who could be set free after a certain amount of certain amount of years. And if a man became indentured servant and then he married somebody and fell in love with that person and had a child with that person, and once he was freed, if he wanted to stay with his wife that he now had, he would have to give up his freedom and stay in indentured serve forever with his wife. So I think there's all of these 
issues of debt, the impact it has on women, the impact it has on family. And then when I think about the kind of themes that Noah Hawley is playing with this season, the role that women have, the power that Lorraine has, the debt that Dot supposedly owes to Roy, that, that she feels like she owes to her kids, the debt that maybe she feels like she owes to Gator in a sense. Um, yeah, I like all those different ways. And this email really makes you think about the entry. Like you can really dive deep into the, th- the themes of debt and ownership in this show. That's why I always got to remember I need to cut Noah Holly projects or maybe I don't know I, I but I, I should cut his projects a little bit more slack in terms of its hard realism because he tends to work more on the like um, almost like the label of like a level of a fable or a parable you know it's like it's hmm. it, you, you'd sound yeah. really stupid if someone told you the story of the fox and the grapes and the sour grapes and you're like foxes don't talk like well no shit dummy right. but you're missing the point of what's happening here now you can make an argument about whether that kind of like you, that that kind of rule of fable or you know thematic mm-hmm. r- righteousness you should cut that slack on a show set in 2018 and right. you know the upper midwest about gangsters and all that i don't know i don't know but like I, it is yeah. th- having that kind of like more looser kind of thing allows him to do a lot more of this interpretive like deeper stuff that maybe resonates on an emotional level more than it does on an intellectual one and you know yeah, emotional arguments that are at least as necessary as purely intellectual ones because we need as human beings we we don't we're not purely intellectual or we emotional we really need that that synthesis the the heart and the head got to be engaged for action to happen so yeah i know for sure i think that's one reason why this season is is really um been top notch in terms of the themes that it's exploring and the characters and can't wait to see what happens in the next two episodes. Well, thanks for that, John. Appreciate it. Uh, if you got a uh, uh, so- something you want to say in the next two episodes of Fargo, please send it in to Fargo at baldmove.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, Ron, it's been a genuine pleasure talking Fargo Yeah, this with has been you. great, man. Where, if people want a little bit more, another A-Ron in their life, <laughs> uh, tell us about uh, what you're up to and where people can find you. Yeah, yeah. So you can find me um, at blurredronner.com. Kind of like Blade Runner, but Blurred Ronner. Can you tell us, us white folks what a blurred is? A blurred is a black nerd. <laughs> I think I think I think the nerd flag has flown a few times in this episode. You've, you've flown it a couple yes, times. Yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The name of my company is Blade Ronner because I'm such a fan of the movie um, – Blade Runner. So that's the name of like my media company. Um, but Blurred Runner, I thought was perked for my social media. And the, um, most of the stuff I'm doing now, I make a lot of TikTok videos about mostly about like faith and religion and stuff like that uh, in a very satirical way. But my podcast, Dungeons and Duregs, um, season one is still up. And if people go to blurredrunner.com, they can connect to it. And if you want to hear, Aaron, uh, share how much he knows about a uh, black 70s sitcom nostalgia trivia. Look for uh, episode three 
my Dungeons and Dragons podcast. There was there was um, a- allegations of rigging in that contest. I heard. You know, there was there was some there was some there's some stop the count business that had to happen. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll uh, yeah fine. we'll link that and uh, link other yeah. Ron's other links and also our conversation we had back on three right turns. I believe I can still find that Darmok uh, at Tanagra oh yeah and at, was it Darmok and Jalad at White Privilege. At white privilege. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> right. when Ron and I first met. So for, or first got together on a podcast. So again, thank you that so much for being thank another you, one man. of Jim's COVID eaters. And I hope he feels better soon. And uh, I see you all the time on TikTok. Uh, you know, holding down your beat, and it's really cool to see. And I hope we get to work together again in the future. But uh, that's it. Yeah, for me now. too. Uh, check out Ron's stuff, everybody. We'll see you next week for episode nine. Until then, I'm Aaron, and this is. I'm Aaron. Aaron, we're out of here. See ya. (laughs)